You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Uh-oh, guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Woo-hoo! Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we are back, and this time we are looking at Neil Gaiman's Sin Man. Not the books, but the actual Netflix series that just ended recently. And man, was this seeing amazing stuff come to life it was some comics that i've been reading for almost over gosh over 30 years now and we got to see these come to life and there were scenes in this that it felt like the comics were coming right onto the screen which was pretty amazing to see and we got a great crew to talk all about it and the man who never has problems with his dreams and has never problem any problems you know Dreaming up the impossible dream is Mr. Mike Gordon himself. Howdy. Where was I going with that? I have no clue, but it sounded yeah, good. I, you know, we, uh, we got to, you know, got to get a buck up, man, because we got a big show, a big, a really, really big show. A really, like, really uh, big show. Ed we Sullivan, gotta... who, you know, only our older listeners are going to get uh, that reference. Uh, but uh, wait, do we have any younger listeners? Um, no. If you don't, no. um, you're going to learn a lot in this show because we're going to be talking a lot about uh, a lot of older stuff. Oh, very much so. It's going to be very interesting to talk about some older stuff. And we have a great interview to start the show with. We'll get to Stanley in a few minutes. But it's going to be pretty fun tonight to talk all about Sandman. And we are going to try to stay away from the comic books. We're going to mostly be focusing on the TV show. So if you haven't seen it yet, we are going to spoil it. So please, you know, take a couple minutes, watch the 11 episodes. It's definitely worth it, folks. Definitely worth yeah, checking we will be out. Show, yeah, we'll be, we'll be spoiling not only the series, but the comic. So because um, we're going to be, uh, obviously, we mentioned a little bit in there. They're so closely linked. So yeah, there will be uh, spoilers. We're gonna do. We're gonna try to go as uh, as as deep into sleep as we can. Oh, exactly. So no snoring during the show, though. Promise. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, our show about dream does not put you to sleep. No, we really hope it doesn't. But definitely, you know, we definitely would love to hear from you guys. Please write us feedback at station one dot com. Let us know your thoughts on Sandman. We definitely would love to hear that. Hopefully, you've enjoyed it. Hopefully, you've watched it. You know, because that's a big thing. And would you like to see more? That's the big question. So, you know, Netflix is is looking for that also because right now they haven't decided if we're going to get to season two or not yet. So definitely worth checking out. Of course, we also want to give a big shout out to our friends over at Tifosi Optical. Tifosi Optical is your sunglass place for all kinds of great sunglasses. Anything from very casual to high-end sunglasses that, you know, you could use for also for sports and 
biking and working outdoors and, you know, even safety glasses and such. It's pretty cool. Tifosi Optical has it all and as a way of saying thank you. They have a coupon code of EarthStation1. All you have to do is put it in, and when you do, you get 10% off your whole order. Just not one pair, but your whole order. Check it out, TifosiOptics.com. And now we're here with friend of the show, Stanley Livingston, a true legend in himself. Welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's our pleasure to, to have you on the station. Welcome. Um, for Well, I can't imagine there's a lot of people out there that don't know who you are, but uh, you started acting very, very, very early, right? Like, um, like, what was your first role? Do you remember it? Well, you sort of have a few roles before you actually have some roles where you actually get to talk. Uh, you know, <laughs> right. Like most people in the industry, I started off as an extra, just another kid. In fact, I remember my mom told me on my first job I was going to be an extra. I remember saying to her, an extra what? <laughs> so, so, so you had no uh, idea what, what it was no when idea. you went to do no, it? No, not really. You know, I knew it was going to be something with no dialogue. And yeah, I did three or four shows like that. And one of them uh, ended up being an Ozzy and Harriet episode where I was hired to be an extra. Uh, Ozzy was selling some Christmas trees to make extra money during uh, the the holiday season in his backyard and he has a prospective client out there and there's a sea of Christmas trees he's trying to get rid of and the joke was he's standing there talking to the guy trying to get him to buy a Christmas tree and all of a sudden eight little kids come marching out of there with backpacks sleeping bags and we used his impromptu forest to sleep in for the night so uh, anyway we shot it a couple times and then for whatever reason uh, he pulled me aside and said hey look could you say this line? And he told me what to say. And he said, here's how you do it. You, you come out just like you did before, but we're, I'm going to put a little X on the ground there. We can't see it, but you'll see it. Don't look down at it. But when you get right to that stop, just pause and say the line I told you to say, and then turn and go. So we did that. And I guess I said the line successfully. And then he said, let's do it one more time. And I noticed they moved the, the camera a little closer. So I didn't realize it, but I was getting my close-up. So we shot it again. I got a close-up, and uh, I guess I did okay. That day, he went up to my mom before we uh, left the soundstage and said, uh, be sure to leave your number uh, with my secretary in the front office. I want to have Stanley back again. And uh, you hear that a lot in showbiz. I'm going to work with you sure. again. See you soon. And that never happens. I'm still waiting. 50 years later for some people to call back. But... Uh, <laughs> True to his word, uh, about two weeks later, I was doing another Ozzy and Harry. This time they had three or four lines and another one and another one. So over the course of about three, four years, I probably did about 15, 16 episodes of Ozzy and Harriet. And that first episode that I did where my line was, sure was mighty good camping in there, Mr. Nelson. You that, still remember that his little line. Piece, yeah, I still remember it. Yeah, you remember your first line, that's for sure. Uh Got me into the Screen Actors Guild as a professional actor. I, you know, was able to join, paid the dues. Uh, and from that point on, I was a professional actor and started going out on other TV shows in that era and landing parts and movies, started getting movies. Uh, and I did Please Don't Eat the Daisies with Door State, David Niven. X That's really TV. incredible. Rally Around the Flag Boys, yeah, with Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, uh, another movie called The Bonnie Parker Story with Dorothy Provine, 
Um, and then I, uh, did, I, well, how this happened, this is kind of really what kind of catapulted my career beyond just, you know, being a neighborhood kid. Uh, when I was doing the Ozzy and Herod episodes, uh, a lot of time you have downtime and I would go wandering onto other people's sound stages to see what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And my mom would let me go. And I went on to the next, the sound stage next to us because they had a horse over there and I thought that was cool. And anyway, they were shooting with it and I followed the trainer out the back door with the horse where they had a little stable set up. And he was friendly and said, Hey, you want to feed the horse? You know, some carrots. And I said, Yeah. And he showed me how to, take the brushes and brush a horse. Of course, I didn't realize that the horse was Mr. Ed, you know. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Know that. yeah. he, he didn't introduce so, himself? <laughs> no, no, didn't say a thing. And Hello, I, I Stanley. Ed, so, <laughs> and, uh, this is Wilbur. <laughs> what are you doing, Wilbur Jr.? So I did that, and then there was another uh, animal. I was a real animal fanatic. Well, I still am, but uh, when I was a kid, across from where Stage 5 was, where we shot uh, the Ozzy and Harriet show. So I went over there, and they had a basset hound on that show, and he was really friendly. I remember playing with him, and the trainer, again, was a nice guy. And I was talking about how do you, you know, make him do certain things, and he was showing me all these hand signals he would do. Anyway, one day uh, when I was there playing with that dog, this man walked up to me uh, in a suit. <laughs> I'm already thinking, oh, God, this is going to be not good. And he said, who are you? And I said, my name's Stanley Livingston. Nice to meet you. And stood up, shook his hand. So I think he was kind of impressed with that. And we stood there talking for about 10, 15 minutes. And uh, so I thought I got myself out of whatever little situation had arisen because of being caught on the sound stage and the guy said well you know um, i'd like to meet your mother and so i remember i looked at him and said uh am i in trouble and he goes no son you're not in trouble he goes but i would like to meet your mom so i said okay so i led him across uh, out of that stage across the street into stage five brought him up to my mom i said mom this guy wants to meet you and i walked away and as i was walking away i saw my mom kind of go like that her her eyes were popping out of her head well i didn't know this guy was jackie cooper oh wow um, oh wow who was one of the original little rascals by this point in his career you know he'd done i don't know how many movies he was a pretty big tv director and producer then and I didn't hang around for the conversation, but uh, lo and behold, about three months later in December of 1958, this was probably around August when this when I introduced him to my mom, he wrote a TV pilot for me. And it was based on a movie he did when he was a kid, which was a huge success uh, in 1931. Highest grossing movie of the year. The movie, I believe, won an Academy Award. The director won an Academy Award. And Jackie Cooper, who was all of 11, uh, was nominated uh, in the field of Best Actor uh, for an Academy Award. And uh, back to this day, he remains the youngest person ever nominated for an Academy Award in the leading man category. So uh, we did this pilot. And I never saw it till flash forward about 60 years later. But my parents uh, would borrow the print. Uh, you know, you've heard of actors' reels. Mm-hmm. You know, in the seventies, eighties, you gave your agent or producer, a, you know, a videotape of your scenes. Or later, became a DVD. Now it's all online. They look at files. But in those days, it was called a reel because this was actually a sixteen millimeter reel. 
and it was shown around to people in town by my agent and my parents. And uh, it how you did that was you'd have to rent a movie theater after midnight when they stopped having regular runs. And then you would rent the projection. <laughs> so you would have to show your demo reel. And uh, so, yeah, I came to the attention of a lot of people. That's how I ended up in Please Don't Eat the Daisies with Doris Day, David Niven. One of the casting people came to see it and hired me. And about a year later, uh, my agent arranged for a screening at this theater we used. And uh, there was a production manager, a casting person, and I think one of the producers came to see it. And uh, literally a week later, I was told I, if I wanted the part, I could have the part on this brand new TV series going to be called My Three Sons. Wow. So I was kind of in a quandary right then because I was also up for a movie that was to be made like literally simultaneously. So I had to pick one. Uh, the, the movie was called Huckleberry Finn. And, uh, it was, like I said, they wanted me for Huckleberry Finn in this movie. And, uh, needless to say, I wanted to be Huckleberry Finn, but uh, my <laughs> agent decided I was going to be on my three cents. She looked at it more pragmatically than me. You know, I just wanted to be Huckleberry Finn, uh, which she would have got a commission check off. Of. And uh, she was looking at my three cents as hmm, 39 episodes. I can collect 39 checks here and maybe more <laughs> if it goes another year. So, uh, yeah, we opted for My Three Sons, found out Fred McMurray was going to be the star of it, and then we waited around till they did the rest of the, the casting, which was Tim Considine, uh, who was in The Shaggy Dog with Fred McMurray and was a staple of Disney films and was actually a, a young child actor himself. Uh, William Frawley, who was coming to us fresh from I Love Lucy to play the grandfather, um, and we were looking around for a middle son to play the part of Robbie. And, uh, they actually found, uh, an actor mid teens and he just came up with a series called Fury, a guy named Bobby Diamond. And so they decided to hire him and I don't know what went wrong, but, uh, about a, uh, it was probably literally the next day after we shot for one day, they, they let him go and started looking around for another actor a couple of days later we started up again uh, with another actor and for some reason they didn't think this guy could do comedy so they let him go and i remember my mom was friends uh with an agent and who had a son that was about 15 16 called her and said hey they're recasting robbie again why don't you send your son who was don grady in and don got the part and uh, we started shooting again and uh, this time it stuck, and he became Robbie. Tim Constant became Mike. I was Chip. Fred McMurray was Steve, and Bill Frawley was Bub. And oh yeah, by the way, the uh, the actor who couldn't do comedy that was Ryan O'Neill. Oh wow! Oh wow! Yeah. yeah, wow. But he did do another segment later as you know, just a, just an actor. But that must have been a bitter pill. Pill, you know, you <laughs> almost have a TV series and. In those days. He did okay, and, you know, though. Oh, he, he, he did, did okay. Very well, that's, that's what I'm saying. And whoever misjudged that he couldn't do comedy, uh, you know, we all make mistakes and maybe he was having a bad day. I don't know what happened. But fortunately for him, he didn't get it. I mean, I had a similar situation uh, uh, probably in 57. I was up for, uh, uh, what was it called? Dennis the Menace. It was between me, one other kid, and Jay North, who ultimately got the part, and I didn't. I got the booby prize of getting to be an extra on a couple episodes again. Uh, but, you know, had I done 
you know, that is tremendous. My career would have been over probably when I was 13, 14. So uh, thank God for my three sons. It went so long. It ended up going 12 years and 380 yeah. episodes. Got me from nine years old to 23 years old and over that rough patch that most child and teen actors have, you know, uh, they're terminated before they're an adult. Good luck getting a part to your 18 or 20. And by then everybody's forgotten who you are. That, uh, that Huckleberry Finn, that's the one that was, that you, that you passed on. That was the one with Tony Randall, right? That came out eventually. Tony I think, Randall, uh, yeah. Buster Keaton was in that. Buster Keaton was in it and the, the boy that they finally hired. And I think they were looking at him initially because it was going to be a musical version. Okay. Uh, it was Eddie Hodges, Eddie Hodges from A Hole in the Head with Frank Sinatra. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was actually a, a, an amazing singer. So I could see that. But I think they decided not to go with a, you know, a musical version and started to consider me. And uh, I, I was maybe a year or two younger than Eddie. So. But I, I was definitely a, a sarcastic little kid, so I think they like that. That's <laughs> kind of what Jackie Cooper saw in me. You know, not to say I'm a smart ass, but I guess I was back then. The more I look at my work, I really had a little attitude going, you know, and it came out on screen, and I think that sort of became what I became known for, for my persona. That and, you know, doing crying scenes. <laughs> which I had one of those in Skippy and, and Jackie Cooper had the famous crying scene in, in his Skippy in 1931. And his uncle directed the film, Norman Tarog. And I guess he wasn't getting the performance out of Jackie Cooper. He says, you got one more chance to shoot this scene. And if I don't see real tears this time, I'm going to take your dog out back and shoot it. Oh man, so he got the tears, and yeah, Jackie kind of pulled a stunt like that on me too. And I had a big crying scene, and yeah, he kind of, you know, it's sort of like Santa Claus being super nice to you, and then all of a sudden he's screaming at you. And you know, when you're eight years old, I had just turned eight, you know, it frightened me, and he got the tears he wanted. Uh, but yeah, it is, uh, it's amazing to me. Okay. So, um, you mentioned, you know, when you met Jackie Cooper the first time, like you really didn't know who he was. Um, and was that true? Like for Doris Day and David Niven. And when you worked on, there's tons of great names in, uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd seen movies. I'd seen movies with her. So I knew who she was. Yeah. And what I was referring to with Jackie, I just didn't know him as an adult. You know, I never connected that that guy could have been the little kid and little rascals. Right. You, know, you don't right. think of adults as ever being little kids <laughs> when you're meeting them as adults. But when I finally saw it, I mean, he's totally, he has a unique look. He's very identifiable. On had I paid more attention, probably. I mean, I think I liked, uh, I don't know, I think it was Stymie or Buckwheat back then. So I really wasn't looking at his character. <laughs> Were you familiar with Frederick Murray before you worked with him? I was, you know, okay. I, I, that was the one person I was familiar with primarily because uh, not the films you would think, you know, he was obviously double indemnity. Was right. I'm like, wow, were you, gonna, were you watching those? Like, that's pretty, like, uh, he did a lot I of those later, kind of adult movies. But not then. then. Yeah. You know, how I, yeah, how I got to know him was uh, The Shaggy Dog, mm. you know, which is about 1958, 59, and then The absent which every kid saw that if you were my age, and you know, and you went out the next week and bought that little egg that had the flubber in it. It was just a bunch of goop in there, but we all right. bought them and you could bounce it. So, yeah, I, I knew him as that guy. And that's pretty much where he kind of morphed into 
being that kind of guy on screen. He, uh, you know, he did the Kane mutiny a couple of years before that. And uh, literally, as My Three Sons was open, he had another movie in the theaters, which I think that was the last time he played a role like that, which was playing a cad, which was The Apartment. The Apartment, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When it, he actually had an incident happen, and I think that was the reason he decided to yeah, I've, change I've his course directory. Yeah, he, he, some woman came up to him and slapped him. Yeah, slapped him in public. <laughs> Well, I had things like that happen to me early on, too. I, one of the first things I did, I, you know, they have court shows like Judge Wapner and Judge Judy. Sure. Well, they had shows like that back in 1957, 58. They were court shows. And uh, we lived next door to a, a little old lady. She was really nice. She used to babysit us. And, you know, she was kind of like a mother to my mother. She, she's probably in her 80s, early 80s or something. Or maybe she was 60 and she looked 80 to me, you know. But uh, I did a show, it was called Day in Court, and I was the child of some parents who didn't lock their gun up, and I got a hold of it, and the gun went off, and I killed my brother. Mm. And so this old lady called, <laughs> was called the cops, and so cops showed up at our house, you know, like my little brother Barry got murdered, and they had explained, no, he was just on a TV show and played a part of of a kid's it's called day in court <laughs> nobody really got hurt anyway even on the show and she just didn't get that that wasn't real wow. even though my parents didn't play my parents on that show but somehow she couldn't put two and two together and uh, but it was kind of funny to have the cops knock on your door and you know i thought oh my god i'm gonna get arrested even though i haven't <laughs> murdered barry they're accusing me of it yeah, TV was still pretty new back then, and you know, for older people, it, it was probably disconcerting. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that was, and you hear that so many stories, and I think it still happens to some extent today, but not as much as it did even when I was growing up. Because when you, what you saw on television, even though logically you're like, that's not, those aren't really those people. When you see them, you connect with them as those people. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. I would imagine that you are, for a lot of people, you are. Chip Douglas forever. <laughs> right. Well, and the name and how that person is, which right. wasn't me at all. <laughs> that was part of the problem. Even, you know, recently or not that far back, you know, you go back into the 80s when I was doing plays, and you know, people just loved the person that you were. And, you know, uh, yeah, I guess there, there was some of me in that, but, you know, definitely a, a different kind of guy than I appear to be on TV so when it was did, just a part yeah when did when did it become like you know it wasn't just you were there on set pretending to be stuff and you were actually acting when did that really kick in for you was that during My Three Sons or earlier well hopefully that never happened because that's the last <laughs> thing you want to do is act <laughs> oh, right 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 yeah, I see what yeah. You mean. so I mean yeah, you know, when you're a kid, you're not conscious of anything, conscious of, of that. So it's, uh, you know, and that's really where you're trying to stay in that state of, of just, you know, whatever you decide that character is of keeping it consistent and living, you know, moment to moment, not really designing, you know, something uh, to be a certain way, you know, so, which gives you sometimes the latitude to play a part a different way or you do a scene in a certain way and then they do another take you might do something completely different but hopefully true to what however you saw that character um my big shock came after the show was over yeah <laughs> uh, 
you know, if you're, you started like I did in 1954 and it's now what, 1972 going into 73. So I've done this a long time. I've asked hundreds and hundreds of credits, you know, for movie, TV, and what are these commercials, whatever. Um, you know, when you were on the TV in those days, there was three networks. So mm-hmm. the population of TV watchers was divided pretty evenly. And if you were a hit show, you had probably 60 million people a week watching a show. Well, that's good. But multiply that times 12 years and you've really sunk into the conscience of people. You know, they know who you are. And, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't go anywhere. It was like being one of the Beatles without being recognized practically so you know that part was a little bit tough but from the business side of it as an actor you know you also feel like you have a certain stature in the industry because you've done all this work and you were on a hit show and you know you've paid your dues to a certain extent but the big shock came we finished shooting on a friday and on a monday i got a call from my agent and he said well this may be premature he said but uh would you be interested in going out on an audition now that you're, you know, not obligated to buy their sons anymore? And I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I really hadn't even thought of it that way. And, you know, I had thought, well, maybe I'll take some time off. But I thought, you know, maybe the, the correct thing to do would be just plunge in and, you know, find out what the business is all about. So, you know, I'm thinking he's, going to send me out on a movie audition or some tv show and there was a part and you know so i said well yeah i guess i probably should so it's monday and he said yeah i said so what is it and he goes oh it's for a mcdonald's commercial (laughs) now (laughs) oh wow talk about you know being cut down to size and really you had an ego and i you know hesitated for a second but then i thought you know I better get real. Yeah, I'll do it. So I went on the commercial on Monday and it was me and about 60 other guys that looked just like me. (laughs) So I think I was a little bit shell-shocked from that. Went in and gave it my best shot. I didn't make it. I didn't get hired. I don't know if I was the wrong guy or I came up on screen like some shell-shocked war veteran. Uh, But uh, yeah, you know, and then after that, I started realizing, you know what, pal, you're back to square one. You you know, you can't assume anybody's going to hire you. Expect no favors, no quarter. You got to go out and earn these parts and you better know what you're doing. So uh, I immediately enrolled in uh, some acting school, even though I knew how to act, but just to get in with other actors and, you know, so maybe learn new things. Yeah. So I took an acting and directing class at the uh, actors and directors lab in Hollywood with an uh, instructor named Jack Arpine, who's part of the actor's studio and decided to try and reinvent myself to the best I could. And the tough part from the era I came out of in that, you know, kind of early to mid seventies was being on My Three Sons, I really couldn't do a lot of other work. I could do movies. So, you know, from time to time, I would do a feature film, but I couldn't do other TV shows because they were all sponsored by somebody and we could never do them because they could be a conflicting sponsor. And so contractually, we were not allowed to do it. So all my friends, you know, they're going from show to show to show. Rifleman one week, you know, Ozzy and Harriet the next week, Donna Reed show. Brady Bunch, whatever, you know, was in there. And I, I couldn't do any of that. So I had to wait till the show was over. And here I'm starting over again. 
And, uh, you know, I realized it was going to be a tough road to hoe, but it was the casting directors that were the problem. They were literally in Hollywood, two kind of two sets of casting directors. One's the cast TV shows, which were more open to interviewing me and, and having me on a show. And the people who cast movies, which was this other echelon of casting people, um, were really resistant to seeing TV actors or well-known TV actors, you know, because you they considered you typecast. And they're trying to populate the films with, you know, people perhaps with more skill than I had or New York actors or just people were coming there and could be that part with, without carrying the baggage of some other show into it. You know, if I'm playing an axe murderer like on Kojak and I come on screen and people go, oh, it's Chip, there's Chip. <laughs> kind of what happened to, what was it, uh, George Reeves who played Superman. Yeah, you know, The guy did a lot of films before he was Superman. He, he was actually in Gone with the Gone Wind. Gone with the Wind, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of other films. But after Superman, as soon as he'd walk on screen, people would be, hey, it's Superman, Superman. And, you know, for the audience and the producers there, their whole film stopped. You know, because people are laughing and pointing. And, you know, it's like, well, gee, what is Superman doing in the Wild West or something? <laughs> so... I got it, but, you know, at the same time, I thought I could bring something to the part. And, and from a personal standpoint, I wanted to do something different than be a high school, college student, you know, age kid, to, you know, just a nice guy. But, you know, that's pretty much what I got stuck with, at least in the TV world and even in some of the movies I did. You know, I never played a bad guy. I was always the good guy. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the baggage I brought. And that was the, the cards I was dealt. So. You know? It seems like despite that, though, I mean, with all with because you hear so many stories of, of folks who even early on, they have success, whatever, but then they they sort of get tired of it. Or like you, like in the case of you, where they get known for certain things and the doors are shut and a lot of other opportunities for them. Um, and then they just go on and do other things. But it sounds like you really, really love the business you love acting you love behind the scenes um right. what what is well, it that, about that, all of that 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 made you want to really continue to do that well i mean i was fortunate too i you know i, I don't want to say i saw the writing on the wall but i was interested in other things and probably the last three four years because of my three sons you know i started studying film got really interested in production and it was a great place to be because we had all these old timers on the show as the uh, production managers as the dp cinematographers they really knew their craft and uh, you know i bugged the hell out of them to i was like a sponge to absorb whatever i could absorb like you know why are we using this kind of camera why not that camera what does this do what's parallax uh what are all these different film stocks and when to use this one over that one? Or, you know, what are the procedures like once you've shot it, you know, to get it to the lab? What are the lab procedures? Uh, you know, do you do color work prints or black and white work prints? And then, you know, after I learned all that, I went up to the editing room and bugged them. They give me film to edit, show me how to physically edit on a movie or one cut film together. And, you know, how you cut film how sometimes the sound would precede the picture to make it a smoother cut and you know all the tips that they had from doing it for 30 40 years they passed on to me uh had a great guy because you know shooting my two sons was complicated from a production standpoint because we shot out of order and because of fred mcmurray schedule we always shot around that so i kind of learned this other method of scheduling things, which, like I said, if you can do that, like scheduling a movie to be shot somewhat in order is, is a cinch. So 
I really learned on the whys and the wherewithals of, of putting a production schedule together for an entire season, which was like 39 shows and bits and pieces of those every day and how we had to have certain ones done by a certain date or we've got a guest actor coming in and he's in only three scenes, but you don't want to schedule him on three different days. You want to get his stuff all in one day. So you only pay him once and get him out of there. You know, things like that or a location you may have just briefly. So, yeah, I mean, you know, you really learn the ins and outs. So by the time I was 20, I started a, a production company with another guy. And, you know, we did whatever we could get, some commercials, industrials, mm-hmm. uh, corporate stuff, music videos. Uh, and, you know, that's how I got my teeth, you know, well, sunk my teeth into that and started <laughs> uh, doing it for myself. So I had this other thing kind of going, even though the acting thing was there. But, you know, after a while, I, I'd done acting since I was, like I said, four or five years old. So, wow, by the time I, I was 30, I'd already been working, you know, for, what, 25 years. And I decided, you know, I, I like this production stuff, but I control it. I control what I say yes to. It's up to me to go out and get it. It's not like being an actor where you're sitting there waiting for the phone to ring. And sometimes it doesn't ring. And, you know, you're trying to learn voodoo so you can make the phone ring and, <laughs> you know, changing going. <laughs> you got a movie interview this afternoon or something. I just said, the hell with that, man. I'm going out and if I don't make the calls, it doesn't get done. I'll go out and get the jobs and talk people into hiring me. And that's kind of what I did. Uh which I thought made you know, made me a better person. That that's the bad part of being an actor. And for the, the people that you were mentioning that were on some of those shows came off of those shows expecting something. Mm-hmm. And maybe even feeling a little entitled uh, because you were on a hit TV show. Yeah, everybody knew you. And, you know, the mo- movie industry has no mercy, man. The people that hired you yesterday don't even want to talk to you on the phone the next day. It's like, don't call me, I'll call you. It and is, I think that yeah. it, it was disturbing to them. And not to say it wasn't disturbing to me, too, that, you know, people I had access to, you know, it was hard to get to them anymore. Or they're afraid to take your call because you might ask for something. But I think psychologically, it, it did some damage on people. And, you know, they either turned to drugs or felt, you know, so many insecure like about that. themselves as actors. Yeah. And I just never felt that way. I just thought, you know what, this is totally, this is a game where it's totally up to you. If you want something, you got to go out and make it happen. If you're not getting hired, Go get a damn camera, write something, and shoot something with yourself in it. Why wait? Why wait? Especially now. You know, 20 years ago when we went to video and then finally went to digital, there's absolutely no excuse that I can think of that an actor should be sitting waiting by the phone for his agent to call. I mean, you should be learning, like I did, all about cameras and lenses and writing and editing and you know you write something for yourself and you have the means to to do it it's not like you're shooting and it's costing you know a thousand dollars in film then another two thousand dollars at the lab and now i need another thousand dollar work print no i didn't know what i was doing editing i just you know let the moviola you know punch up my film or <laughs> lost part of it so yeah you, you know you learn how to do all of it that's, and that's just the way I was approached it. And, um, and then I also learned it's a lot easier to get your calls returned if you're a producer and director if you're calling as an actor. <laughs> right, absolutely. No, nobody wants to hear from you, not even your friends in the industry. You might so, ask for a part. 
so Stanley, I have to ask you for our listeners out there, is there any, like a couple of projects that you post, uh, you know, uh, my three sons that you were, were involved with that you really want people to, you know, seek out well, and I mean, check out? Yeah, I mean, I've done some interesting things. Well, I mean, things with me as an actor. The other thing that I'm probably known for is How the West is, which oh, kind of had, yeah, that was a film from 1962, but was reborn again in 2012. Uh, they completely restored the print, cleaned up the, you know, the lines, the panel lines, because it was Cinerama. And, uh, yeah, they re-premiered it at the Arclight Cinema in, in Hollywood. I went there, and I was one of the speakers before the show and talked about working on it, working with Crazy Henry Hathaway, the director, and John Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I've had, yeah, a lot of, you know, I've produced a movie called Checkers that's kind of like My Two Sons, but not. It had four brothers. Instead of having Fred McMurray for the dad, it, it's like they had Johnny Udo, you know, Richard Woodmark, kind of some crazy dad who, and that's kind of the dark secret as the film. These guys are all, you know, 40, 50 year old damaged goods or messes. And it's because of the dad who's now old, doesn't remember how horrible he was. And, you know, it's, it's really these four brothers coming to terms with him, you know, and it ranges everywhere from I'm going to be nice to him for a couple of days while he's here to another brother wanting to strangle him to death. So it's, it's a black comedy called Checkers. <laughs> um, yeah. I, and I actually, Oh, I shot a Cinerama film in 2012 that I was in and produced with a couple of partners. And it was the first Cinerama film actually shot in three strip, 35 millimeter Cinerama. We actually restored a Cinerama uh, camera to do this. And in 2012, there was a Cinerama Film Festival at the Arclight uh, Cinerama Dome in Hollywood. And they showed everything that was ever Cinerama, which there isn't that much stuff that was the original Cinerama There's about 12 films. Like a weekend. Yeah. A short documentary. And then there's a uh, Peugeot commercial that was shot in Cinerama. So they showed everything. And we had just completed this film. So we kicked off the festival. Uh, on the day it started, we were first up at bat at the Dome, and Leonard Malt came to see it, gave us a rave review, so I was sort of nice. proud of that. Uh, one of the other things that I did that I'm I'm really proud of, uh, this, I don't say it's more obscure, it should be more to the forefront. I'm trying to do something about that right now. I uh, produced and directed a, I had to call it a documentary uh, because of the Screen Actors Guild, uh, but it's really an educational film. But it's strictly for actors. Well, not really strictly for actors, but, you know, for actors, it made the most sense what it is. It's a, uh, a I guess it's an eight-part, 10-hour-long series on acting, but the business side of acting has nothing to do with craft, has nothing to do with the art and craft of acting and technique. Mm-hmm. We don't get into that at all. We assume that you've been to acting school, uh, you know, a mom-and-pop school, some school in LA or maybe UCLA, USC, Yale or Harvard. And you now are a pretty competent actor. Uh, you know what you're doing either on stage or in front of a camera. But where it gets complicated for, uh, you know, aspiring actors if you're new to the industry is, okay, I got I got the craft part down. What am I supposed to be doing? And exactly. What do I right, do? Right. Where do I start? Who do I call? And should I call them or should I write? Or how do you do this? So I made this 10-hour-long uh, program, 
It's called The Actor's Journey, and it was available for a while on DVD, which would be, we did pretty well with that. But uh, it's going to be on stream, in streaming media probably in about another 60 days, something like that. We transcoded everything. So it'll be available. You can either watch the whole thing or you can watch any one of the eight volumes, the eight parts that it's comprised of. Or you'll even be able to watch the segments themselves that are about 15, 20 minutes to half hour long each. But what we cover is everything having to do with the business side. You know, most actors, they get a cursory bit of information in college or the university. Yeah, the business is you need a reel, you need a resume, you need to try and get in the Screen Actors Guild, you need to try and get an agent, and that's the business of acting. Well... If that was all that there was, everybody'd be doing it. And then, how <laughs> right. the heck do we have? How do we have sixty-five segments? So, uh, yeah, we cover everything. So, what I did is, I, you know, had I been just an actor, I don't know if I could have done this, but I brought together people from all areas of the industry. Meaning, I did have actors, but we had producers, executive producers, showrunners, directors, casting directors, casting agents. Uh, we had the president of the Screen Actors Guild, president of the Directors Guild of America, about eight people that sit on various boards at the uh, Screen Actors Guild or Directors Guild. And they're the ones who teach the program. So everybody in it uh, had 20, 30 years of experience. So I guess you could say, you know, it's the horse's mouth. These people know where they speak. Uh, about 45, 50 of the people have been nominated or won Academy, Emmy, and Golden Globe Awards for their work in the industry. So that was my idea of giving something back to the industry that's not taught. I mean, it's just totally amazing to me. And I knew this for a long time that, you know, even if you went to school, all they're going to teach you is, you know, art and craft of acting. And, you know, you're, you're, you're on your own to go learn the business. And you either learn it. Most people don't because it gets too frustrating and they quit after they've spent all this money or they just can't find a door in because they don't know where the doors are. And uh, so I decided uh, I wanted to do something about that as best I could. So, yeah, I'm really proud of this program. And hopefully uh, it'll be up and people or aspiring actors can avail themselves to learn what it took most of us 10, 15 years to learn. And, hey. 10 hours if you can stand and sit there that long you'll know what we knew and you know you you go out of the gate knowing something as opposed to just getting beat up have your money taken away and getting involved in scams and you don't know why you're being hired and you're making all kinds of mistakes and there's nobody there because you don't know people in the industry they're going to point that out to you so anyway hopefully the actor's journey will help people out yeah absolutely that sounds great if you go to YouTube, I did leave those up. Uh, we had a YouTube channel kind of concurrent while we were selling, you know, the DVD right. program. But if you go to the Actors Journey on YouTube, you can see a lot of the people that are involved. It was, you know, like Henry Winkler, Michael York, uh, Sherman Hemsley. I, I, we, we said there was so many people. A lot of the names behind the camera may not be as familiar, like directors. Uh, we had Richard Donner who directed oh, yeah. all the Lethal Weapon movies. Uh, the Omen, uh, what else? I can't remember. Superman. Superman. I mean, yep. we have top people, <laughs> top people really, you know, disseminating this information. So it's no joke. And if you want to do it as an actor, you know, you're going to find out pretty quick that there's something you don't know. <laughs> and uh, before you run out of money, you know, you may want to check this out. 
No, absolutely. That sounds great. Uh, and uh, it sounds like a great like masterclass type scenario. So um, very you know good. It's exactly what it is before there was masterclass. Right. I think I referred to it as a masterclass. So maybe that's where they got the idea. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, the cool thing is with masterclass, they kind of focus on a single person for each. They have a directing class. Yes, yes. Ron yeah. Howard yeah. and acting class with Michael Caine and maybe Al Pacino or somebody where this is like, Almost everything that gets said gets said by a different person. So it keeps it really lively and interesting. And it's all people that, you know, unless you're 20 years old, you may not know, but it's all people that are, you know, you're going to be familiar with and go, oh, wow. Oh, wow. You know, and then mm -hmm. as soon as you think you've seen the last person, another person pops in that you knew. So it's kind of fun to watch from that standpoint, too. We definitely want to have a link to that in our show notes. Um, and that, cause that sounds really cool. Um, because we are, you know, we are a geek sort of oriented podcast here. We like our, our sci-fi. I have to ask you, cause I'm looking at your IMDb. You have a Star Wars credit. Is there something, is that something you can talk about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> actually, yeah, how I, I can tell you how it came about Absolutely. when I did in the, in the picture, which was the Cinerama film that I did in 2012, right? I guess it was maybe a month before we started shooting. Uh, these they were two college graduates uh, approached us and said, hey, you know, we heard about this. And, then, you know, would you mind if we did a documentary about you guys doing this, uh, you know, Cinerama film? And it was, you know, the first Cinerama film in 50 years, which ironically, I was in the last Cinerama film 50 years ago, which is now the West is one. Right. I think that's, that's why these guys approached me initially. And, and uh, I was actually able to get uh, Debbie Reynolds to be in it too. So we pulled wow. somebody else in. Yeah. There's only about, I think there's three people that have been in two Cinerama films. You know, most people, most people haven't been in one and there's only a few that have been in one, but Debbie Reynolds, myself, and Russ Tamlin uh, were in three. Russ was also in another Cinerama film called The Wonderful World of Brothers Grimm. So, I oh, remember. yeah. I know that one well. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, these guys did an amazing documentary. In fact, I think I have a link to it. I don't know if you've been to my StanleyLivingston.com website. I mm -hmm. just refinished it. So there is a page there where it says How the West Was Run at the top, HWWW. If you look there. Uh, there's a lot of information on how the Western, but there's some other tabs under it. One of them's in the picture, and another one's called The Last Days of Cinerama, which is this documentary I'm referring to, which uh, Michael Celestino and Robert Guerin made. And uh, anyway, just out of the blue, I guess it was uh, February, March this year, I got a call from Mike, and I hadn't talked to him in a while, and they said, hey, you know, we're going, we're doing these Star Wars, um, you know, shorts or films or whatever they call them. And you'd be perfect for this one role. I don't know if you'd consider it. And anyway, so I said, well, why don't you send me the script? Let me see what it is. And anyway, I got it. I'm like, look at it. Wow. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I haven't done acting in a while. It's not something I really pursue. But, you know, I kind of wanted to be cool because I thought they did such a great job. So I called them back to, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. You know, so they told me what the dates were. And um, anyway, as soon as I hung up, I went, what did I just do? I got to learn these lines. <laughs> like, what you know? I, go, I don't even remember what I did yesterday. How the hell is this going to happen? So uh, anyway, I surprised myself. It took me probably about a week of just, you know, 
walking. I, I walk a lot, so I took the script with me. And, you know, by the end of the week, I knew all the lines. And I still had a, about a month where we were shooting. And so by the time I shot it, I was I was pretty confident. Anyway, yeah, they're, they're Star Wars geeks. And I guess these things are licensed <laughs> to go on YouTube and elsewhere. So, you know, it's not like... Uh, George Lucas, I guess, doesn't know that they're doing them. So, mm. or Disney or whoever, whoever does it. So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah, it was, it's yeah cool. the, I got to be a, the, a nasty uh, guy and I get shot with a laser at the end. What more could you <laughs> Oh, spoiler. Uh, no, uh, the, uh, the, the, the project, uh, according to IMDb, is called Antiquities, a Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser story. Uh, and you play a character called the Drifter, so it sounds pretty uh, man with no name ish. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, that's so, cute. You know, I guess if you're into that, I mean, I guess as a geek, I was you know really into special effects. That was one of my other little hobbies when I you know was in show business and knew a lot of people in show business that were on the, uh, the special effects side and. Um, yeah, I mean, I couldn't wait for Star Wars to come out because I had been there and saw this computerized equipment. I just couldn't wait to see how it was going to look up on a big screen, man. It just, you know, blew my mind. And, you know, after that, I was hooked. I think I stood in line. It had to be easily like 12 hours. Yeah, I think I got there like 12 noon and it, the line just went around the block. And uh, I was in line, I think, for the 2 a.m. screening that night. So oh, wow. We had a bunch of guys there, and people would go run down the street and go get a pizza and bring it back, and then sandwiches and drinks. And, you know, we were just picnicking, waiting, moving closer and closer to, I think it was like Ramen's Chinese, if I remember right, to the door. And finally, about 1.30, they let everybody in. And all I remember, man, was, you know, when you're sitting there and that first scene came on, and all of a sudden you see that spaceship kind of yep. go overhead like that i nearly came out of my seat i just i, I just couldn't believe it and yeah you know, for the next two episodes i i just was engaged in all that and you know i was sorry that they didn't kind of you know to wait 20 years or 30 years to come out with the next ones which i thought those were as terrible as the first ones were good <laughs> i i couldn't get into it just seemed like well, these are just toy commercials like, how can we stuff another Wookiee-looking thing in here and another little star thing that Tyco Toys could sell or whoever made all that crap? You know, it was a merchandising blowout is what it was, a merchandising extravaganza. No, and I get said it, it perfectly. Point. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was fun. But, you know, the, the true testament to my interest was uh, for whatever the first one that came out 20, 30 years later, I don't even remember what it was called because they changed the numbers on it. You know, when I saw it was Star Wars 1, 2, and 3, and now number one became number six, seven, and eight, or three, four. Four, I, I think, yeah. yeah. I fell asleep. I fell asleep <laughs> in, in the first one. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's that's a horrible commentary. And I didn't see the other three either, although I heard the last one of that. those were pretty good. Pretty yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's the magic of the movies. Um, and uh, it's been amazing to talk about your experience with the movies and the TV. Uh, you made such an impact um, early on. And it's cool that you're still involved with the with the industry. You're still doing creative things. That's really appreciated for people who want to check out what you're doing and what you've done. We'll have a link to your website. Uh, your so brand new website right there. 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, it's just been nice. redone. Actually, if they want to know what I'm doing, you got to go to a different website. I'm on the, you know, direct thing for this. I have a, a website, which is my company. It's called firstteamproductions.com. Okay. That, okay. That's the stuff that I'm actually working on uh, as a producer, director. Gotcha. Although I've got to confess, I haven't been working on anything for the last two years. COVID, <laughs> COVID took care All of right. that. Yeah, it, it was terrible. I had they got the funding for a talk show, and first time in my life, I had to give the money back to the investors. Uh, I can't do this. Uh, you know, Screen Actors Guild's suggesting we don't, and there's all kind of ramifications to me because not only am I the producer director, I'm the signatory on the LLC. I'm the manager, and if there's something goes wrong. I'm the guy they sue. So, uh, you know, liability wise, we couldn't right. get liability insurance. So I gave it to my partners and I don't know what they did with it. And then I had another uh, TV sitcom that I was working on. We were, you know, finally getting meetings and people interested in funding. It, and I thought, I'm going to have the same problem here. You know, if somebody gives me the money, I'm going to end up having to give it back because uh, I'm too old to be sued <laughs> right now. I'm not 30 anymore. Yeah, <laughs> none of us are. None of us yeah. are. Nope. Uh, well, we'll have a link to all of those in our show notes. It's been amazing having you on the show. Uh, hopefully, we can have you back again. So, because it sounds yeah. like you've got a lot more stories. Are you writing a book? You should write a book, right? You know what? Uh, <laughs> this is something interesting because of doing that website and deciding what I was going to put in there because I wanted to have a little bit more information. You know, I put stuff in there literally about how the West is won. But I also put a lot of other things that I thought people might be interested in reading about. In addition to credits, I mean, I had that, I put, uh, well, all the credits that I have in the industry, which that was kind of going down memory lane because I'd forgotten most of those things. But I'm sure there's about five, 600 credits of shows, talk shows, everything that I could think of. So there's a full credits list. I also put something that I thought was interesting, uh, a guest list for my three sons, which I really hadn't looked at in a long time and then forgotten how many, you know, huge actors, you know, from the golden days of movies were on the show. Uh, Gloria Swanson, Sylvia Sidney, Jim, Jimmy Stewart, uh, George Goble. And then in addition to them, there were people who were yet to be, you know, could win their first job. Uh, you know, people like Martin Sheen. Uh, oh, Jody right. Foster. Uh, I mean, if you look at the names, you're like blown away. Bo Bridges. Uh, one guy really st stood out, and I, I remembered the seeing this episode. It was a well, I, if you remember the show, you remember that Fred McMurray's character, Steve Dov Douglas, was an aeronautical engineer, and they'd cut to the plant sometimes. And he'd be in his office with a drafting board and talking to different people. Well, there was a thing where he had a flashback to when he was younger in the office, and some boss, I think, was chewing him out. And the guy playing young Steve Douglas being chewed out was Tom Skerritt. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, wow. that's awesome. Go so to the website, and if you don't look at anything else, look at that guest star list. And then the other thing I put is I have a list of everybody that was ever on My Three Sons. There's actually, I found a page where I could get that information. So anybody who ever made an appearance, whether they were famous or not, is there. And I put in another page with the crew, 
uh, all the you know technical people, the crew and the directors. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I kind of wanted to be like a little bit of an homage to the people associated, so these people aren't forgotten and are are there and exist somehow. And somehow the web scene. A great place for them to be. I found pictures of all these guys. You can see what the directors looked like, uh, you know, that were directing us. And a lot of went on to, you know, other big projects. One of our directors was Gene Reynolds, who went on to produce and direct MASH. And uh, Lou Grant, uh, I think, was involved in Room 222 and a lot of great shows. And a lot of these guys had careers before they were director. Richard Warp was a pretty prominent actor in a lot of film noir films. Uh, Fred de Cordova, you know, who went on to produce the Johnny Carson show for 20 some years. And you know, all these guys were instrumental in my life. I, I wouldn't have had a life without them. You know? <laughs> I, I soaked yeah. them up like a sponge. Yes. Well, we are very glad that uh, you're sharing all of that with us. It's been incredible having you on the show. Um, thank you so much. Like I said, we'll have links to, yep. uh, to all that in our show notes. And, uh, yeah, you are welcome back on the station at any time. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You guys have a great night. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment, and we will be talking all about The Sandman. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. You may have been feeling a little sense of deja vu at the movie theaters the past couple weeks because while there haven't necessarily been a lot of new movies coming out, Hollywood has been re-releasing some favorites. So I got a chance to see the IMAX re-release of Star Wars Rogue One, which was a ton of fun. The uh, original showing of Rogue One was actually the first movie I got to see at my town's brand new IMAX theater. So that's always kind of a fun memory for me. And there's just something extra special about seeing a Star Wars movie on the big screen. So I really enjoyed that opportunity. A couple other movies that are being re-released are Spider-Man, No Way Home. If you're like me, you got to see that a couple times in theaters previously, but If you just have a hankering to see an MCU movie on the big screen to tide you over to Wakanda forever, that's coming out. But honestly, what I'm a little more excited about is the re-release of Jaws. This is the movie that has really defined what a blockbuster, crowd-pleasing film is. And I got to see it for the first time just a couple years ago, and it blew me away how good it still was. So if you have somehow never seen Jaws, that's okay. Now is a great time to get introduced to it. And if it's a favorite of yours, go ahead and go to the theater and experience it on the big screen. On the smaller screen, we have a lot of stuff on streaming. It's interesting because I feel like Fall used to be a huge time for new network TV shows, but now people aren't talking about that as much. It's really all about streaming. I've been enjoying House of the Dragon, the new uh, Game of Thrones prequel. So far, I know that people feel a little bit burned by the Game of Thrones franchise, and you know what? If you want to wait till the series is all done and then watch it based on what you're hearing, Totally fine, but I like what I'm seeing so far. I'm living dangerously, and I'm watching as it happens. She-Hulk hasn't particularly grabbed me a lot so far, but you know that's the beauty of all these Marvel shows. There's so many. Not everyone has to directly speak to me 
I adored Ms. Marvel, so I'm happy even if everything else MCU stinks for the rest of this year, I'll be happy with what we've gotten. And that's it for this week's Box Office Buzz. If you're looking for more entertainment content, be sure to check out my posts over on the ESO Podcast website. If you were a monster kid growing up, if you enjoyed Saturday mornings watching monster movie matinee, or staying up all night watching the midnight feature, then Monster Attack is the podcast for you. We not only look at classic old monster movies, we share our experience growing up as a monster kid. Join us every Monday for Monster Attack. Your waking world is shaped by dreams. Dreams and nightmares that I create and which I must control. He's out there looking for me, isn't he? Can you imagine the damage he could do? I need your help. If dreams disappear, then so will humanity. We could do without dreams for a while. I haven't had a decent night's sleep in ages. Until I've reshaped this world. Tell us what power of dreams can have. I thought about giving up, but I have a job to do, and I do it. Things have changed. Your eyes will tell me everything, every thought. Every feeling. My creations do not walk amongst the living, killing mortals for pleasure. Oh, you don't think dreams can die? Let's find out. Nightmares do not belong in the waking world. Oh, it turns out I fit right in. Dreams don't die. Welcome back to Earth Station One. Now it is time for the main topic. We are going to be looking at Neil Gaiman's The Sandman, based off the DC Comics. But folks, we are not going to be talking at all about the comic books. We might reference them every once in a bit, but overall this is all about the Netflix series. I just finished up and, you know, the 11 episodes. And I know it was pretty cool. We got a nice little bonus out of it. And so it's going to be a ton of fun to talk about and take it away, Mikey. Who do we got tonight? Uh, yeah, we are actually going to be also spoiling uh, the series as well. So if you have not seen the series, uh, feel free to just, you know, pause the podcast, go watch the series, and then come back. We'll be we'll be here waiting for you. Read 75 issues, too. It's worth we'll, it. We'll, we'll be here. We'll be here in the dream dreamscape. Um, We're coming yeah, to you we, in our dreams. Mike, as Mike <laughs> said, we've got a good crew uh, starting with you probably. We already hear her as Bambi. Usually she's in our, our part of our music crew, but uh, I knew that uh, 
Sandman uh, was something special for her. Meow, meow. That's right. <laughs> and I was like, wait, we're not talking about the comic books. <laughs> we are not, uh, not, uh, not directly. No, uh, we're going to focus on the show. Uh, of course, it's impossible. It'll be impossible for those of us who know the comics to, I mean, because that's one of the big things about how well the adaptation is. But we wanted to make sure that we had somebody on here that represented all the folks that have not read the comics uh-huh. to see how the series holds up. And that's why we've got Randy Stewart back on the show. Randy, welcome back. Thank you very much. I'm proud to represent the illiterate crew uh, watching Sandman. <laughs> no. Now, now, to be fair, you can read. You just have not. Uh, now, is the Sandman something Shh, that Ixnay you... on the read A, you know, it's... Yeah, not, is, yeah. Is, is, the, is the Sandman series something that you have wanted to read, have never been interested in, or what what's your feelings towards Sandman property before the series? I'll I'll be honest. I've never read anything by Neil Gaiman, so I know I'm missing out. I'm knowing know I'm doing myself a disservice. Oh, I was in college when when the comic series came out, and I was too mm-hmm. afford I was too poor to afford uh, the comics, so I was aware of them. I had a lot of friends reading it who loved it, um, and it's just always been one of those kind of monuments out there that I like that I would you know someday like to read, but it was it was nice to come in and and see the show fresh and and. So this way, when I do get around to reading the books, I'll, I'll uh, you know, have something to reference and be able to contrast and compare. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the series, I mean, you probably were aware of the property, correct? So it wasn't like you were in, went in completely cold. But what were your expectations going into the Sandman series? And overall, after watching uh, the series, what, what are your overall your, your thoughts? Well, I, I really didn't have any expectations because outside of having flipped through a handful of issues back in the 90s, I really didn't have any expectations going in. I, I had some ideas of what the characters may, may have looked like artistically in the books, but I didn't know anything about the storylines. Um, so having seen um, you know, Good Omens, having seen Neil Gaiman's work on Doctor Who, I was really excited to, to see the show and interested in it. And um, it uh, it surprised me. So many Netflix uh, shows are complete story arcs these days. So this this felt like a completely different property. So um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about that. But uh, no, no expectations going in. So it was really nice and fresh. So no expectation going in. And then overall, you enjoyed the experience? Absolutely. I mean, it it um, it it took me by surprise. Uh, a lot of the creative choices took me by surprise in terms of characterization. A lot of the creative choices made um for effect whether it be with violence or in some cases um uh in 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 gentleness and 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 almost in merciful edits i I thought i thought it was very interesting it's very creative show very epic and um yeah it it was it was i I found it to be very very interesting and on and of course on a lot of different levels psychologically speaking as 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 the show progressed yeah yeah, and we do want to get into that as much as that we as we can uh, in our short time frame. But um, I'm going to point uh, the direction over at you, Bam, because I know on the opposite side, this is something that we've kind of wanted for decades. It feels like, and but we're afraid to get. So what what were your thoughts going into this series now that it was finally actually happening? Uh, I was really nervous in some ways because I guess this is a show that actually hit close to my heart, I guess. I was like, oh, please don't screw this up. And I I was also really curious how they were going to cover 
some of the stuff that happens in the comic book because i mean it's a lot of it's dreaming so how are they going to do that in special effects and what are they going to leave out or put in or whatever how are they going to make this work and i know that there was a script thrown around for like years and years ago that sounded awful just absolutely awful Mm -hmm. (laughs) like apparently what was it uh it was told to me that the sandman was supposed to get into a fist fight with somebody that alone i was like that's dumb (laughs) so i was really nervous about the show coming out but at the same time extremely excited because of course i want to see this live action i want to see see it and hear it and i actually i I listened to the audiobooks as well they're they're fantastic <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so uh and so overall thumbs up dreams come true yeah i i really like i really like what they did they did change a lot of things but they kept the overall feel of the comic books at least that's, that's kind of how i see it they changed some of the stuff and it wasn't as dark <laughs> in a lot of instances but it still captured i think what neil was trying to say in the stories so I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I thought all the actors uh, and actresses did a great job. Oh yeah, we'll definitely get into acting and characters as well. But Mike, what about what about you? What uh, what were your thoughts? My thoughts were that you know when I had heard that Netflix was going ahead with the Sandman, I had gotten my hopes up. But I had gotten my hopes up so many times before this. Because for the last 25 years, Sandman has been promised to us in various forms, in movies, in other miniseries, or in you know streaming eventually. And, and there's been a lot of big names who have been attached to this. Like Joseph Gordon-Levitt and a couple other people. And, you know, each time you, it gets really big push. Oh, it's starting production. It's getting ready to go. They've hired their dream. And then it stops. It just, you know, it's something happens. And it's gone as far as Neil Gaiman put a stop to one of the productions of it because he didn't like the direction it was going at. And I think that's the version that Bambi was mentioning. And so when they announced this, I was tentative i was you know standing on the you know side of my desk going okay okay what's going to happen what's going to happen and because i've been a sandman fan since issue one and you know i'll be the first one to admit it you know sandman helped save my comic shop in a lot of ways because it was the first comic that i can ever remember that brought women into comic stores other than hanging out with their boyfriends and such you really yeah a lot of times women weren't much into superheroes whatever you know they weren't just into comics just in general sandman changed that and going forward we got had a huge stream of women coming in by themselves and you know oh is the new sandman in is the new uh Swamp Thing or Black Orchid or many other series that, you know, weren't just people in spandex and everything. You know, Sandman was one of the titles that helped form the Vertigo title line. And it's so it's it was pretty amazing. And 
it's it was just a neat experience to have that and now you know and then when they started showing the pictures of the series i i was excited you know the actor looked kind of like dream because you know in the comic dream was based off of robert smith at first and so it was just real interesting to see and they did change a lot they changed a whole lot and they actually mellowed it out a bit compared to what they had in the comics. And I think it was perfect for more of a general audience. And I think they captured it really, really well. I, uh, I, I agree with that. Uh, I do think they, it's a great adaptation. Uh, you know, like everybody else, uh, I was familiar with the, like, you know, Mike and Bambi, I was familiar with the comic. Um, it was, uh, it, it was a game changer personally uh in industry wise creative wise for a lot of folks uh, as mike said it brought in a lot more people that weren't reading comics to read comics and it's a very unique property i mean it's a very like it's a fantasy horror but it's so much more than that there's so many layers to the stories and the storytelling that goes on it's one thing that you think man i don't know if this ever can be a live action thing because i just don't we've never seen anything like this uh in in live action form so you know that that was a challenge now i will say that to me watching neil gaiman and his involvement with good, good omens gave me a lot of hope yeah. that this yeah. would be better because or this would be okay because neil finally was tired like he wasn't like letting other people do his stuff he was getting his hands dirty he was getting involved and uh and i know he's like one of you know three producers uh, he's not the main guy uh, that's involved, you know, that's show running this, but he's, he's there and has, uh, you know, as a creative consultant and he's there for everything that needs to happen. And what I think is most important is that his voice is there. Um, when I, when I watched that first episode, it was like reading the first issue. I mean, sure, there are things that have changed, but there was a lot of it just felt that same feeling like this is different. This is something that even if I hadn't read the book, I, I would be intrigued by because it's just so fascinating to me. I've heard some people complain that the first uh, episode is a slow burn, but not for me. I just found it. Uh, I found it fascinating and uh, visually cool. Uh, they do take some some visual cues from the comic. Uh, so there's some panels come to life. Um, but uh, but more importantly, like I said, the stories there and uh and then it continues and and you know it's one of those things where when you know the stories that are coming up it it's almost like you're you're excited but you're also kind of kind of afraid because if it's done well i mean there's a couple stories that even <laughs> they dealt this season that are really really horrific yep and yep. um uh, I mean, we'll get into them, but, you know, there's a couple of instances where I was like, I don't know if I want to watch this if it's done well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, I don't want to watch it if it's not done well. And if it's done well, it's probably going to give me nightmares uh, that for life. And and as Mike said, they kind of did, you know, I don't want to say tame it down because they it's pretty it's still pretty violent. But, yeah, it's not as uh, violent as the comic in, in in ways, but it's still there. Yeah, the intent's still there. Um, you get you get the idea. Uh, so so let's talk about Morpheus 
first. Uh, Morpheus is, of course, the, the 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 Sandman himself. You know, uh, the casting of Morpheus, Tom Sturridge, was really important. I think key to the whole thing. Um, uh, I had not been familiar with Tom, uh, his work before this. I don't think I'd seen him in anything. If I did, he didn't really stand out. Um, so I didn't really know him. Like Mike said, when I saw the visual images, I'm like, yeah, he looks like him. But I, what really was important to me was the voice. Yeah. Because uh, in the comics, he even has a different font. Like he, it's it's made clear that he talks differently than other characters. And so I was really wondering if they were going to use some sort of electronic modification for his voice or anything like that. I don't think if they do, it's not, it's pretty subtle because um, his voice is perfect like i didn't know what morpheus really sounded like until i watched this show now i know exactly what he sounds like uh, but randy for you what did you think of the character because when we first see him uh you know he's he's in a compromised position and so he doesn't really come across as like you know the, the most able main character right you know one one of the things that i always enjoy is a show or a movie that defies my expectations and I can't predict what's going to happen next. And quite honestly, that's one of the things I absolutely loved about the first episode of this series was that I did not know what was going to happen next or how things were going to resolve. And honestly, that, that I can say that about the whole series. So in terms of, of Tom Sturridge being the character, I, I didn't know what to expect at all. Again, having not read the book, um, you know, I, 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 I took, I took it as what was given to me. Like, like, like most viewers, you know, if, if it's, if it's there on screen, it's meant to be there. And so I just assumed in watching him that this was, uh, this was a, uh, either a, a, a correct representation of the character or a, uh, um, as close to a correct representation of the character that the producers could find. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, I thought, I thought he was fantastic and what was very interesting about him is that and i don't i don't know if if this was me as a viewer interpreting interpreting what was going on in his silence but i found that his silence was just as powerful as the words he was given to speak yep it was and more haunting so, in a lot of ways absolutely i i, I thought he was I, I thought the casting on the show was fantastic um i do have a question uh i want to pitch to you guys though when when we get to some of the other characters um and that's about Patton oswald being chosen for matthew but um in, in terms <laughs> there's of, a whole story in, behind in that. terms of <laughs> but 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 in terms of tom sturridge he he i think he conveyed the mystery i think you you hit the nail on the head that the, the character was haunting he not only was he haunting he was a haunted character oh yeah he was yeah, a cursed call. character yeah. and he and he carried all of that weight, you know, in in his body language, in in his silence, in in his in his emotions, and uh, I thought he was fantastic. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed every frame with him. And I think what we learned pretty early on too. Well, after that first episode, you almost feel I mean you should, you feel sort of sorry for him because he's in this compromised position. But then as the series goes on, you kind of realize you know maybe he did this to himself because he's kind of a jerk, right? Like like Morpheus <laughs> right. is not a cool guy. Like he's not a like a happy fun guy that you want to hang with. Like he's intimidating, he's scary, and he's not always fair. Um, so, Bambi, what did you think of of this iteration of Dream? I liked it and 
you're saying, you know, he's kind of a jerk. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, they mellowed that part out for the show. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's still even... a jerk in the show, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, you know, but he he does mellow out through the ser- the the season. Though. He does. He that's, does, well, that's the whole point still, of the season, right? <laughs> early on in these, you know, this era. I mean, they they kind of touched on some of the stuff in the show without actually diving into it. I'm hoping they'll end up doing episodes that they skipped <laughs> on the issues that are early on, mm-hmm. but. In those, you real I guess they skipped him because it showcases that he's he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> I mean, he's he's selfish, but at the same time, he does seem like he means well in general. Um, but for TV, you have to have a protagonist for the general public that they like. You have to get on board with, and so I totally understand mellowing that side of him out as much as they did. I love the character; he's my favorite one in the in the whole series. Uh, but the voice, I guess what's weird is um, until I heard the audiobook, I always thought he was going to be British. And that may be because. <laughs> <laughs> New Gaiman is British? You thought it, yeah. Well, not just that, but uh, the copy, my first copies of The Sandman that I ever got, I got in a comic book store in London. <laughs> they, oh, wow. So, and they were all like, yeah, it's a British author. It's like everybody had been telling me I needed to read it. And I was like, finally, I was like, well, they got a bunch that are sequential. So I'll try it, even though I'm not really into comic books. And boy, did I get into those. <laughs> and I, it was the first chunk. It was the what they did the show on. It was like one through, I think I got the first 10 issues at that comic book store. And then it was just from there on, I was like, I gotta have all of them. So I liked, I, I liked this version, the American accent, I guess. I got used to it in the Audible, so I wasn't surprised. Well, uh, in, the, in the Audible, he, it was Jan, James McAvoy, who's British. That's yeah, dream. but he still speaks speaks, you know, American for the most part. Nothing it's never as heavy like I always expected of him not have like a I'm trying to think. Not like a bad I British think, accent. A posh British they, accent. I always expected yeah. him to sound posh. I think they call it like a what is it, a mid Atlantic accent where it's yeah. like this sort of mer like a, it's like English for Americans, so that yeah. it's not really thick it's more like formal english but it's, um, it doesn't sound but, yeah it doesn't sound it i don't immediately think oh you know he's european <laughs> right well i think what's most important is like you you understand that he's not human like it sounds like this is not coming from something that's human yeah. um even though and yeah i think yeah he's a jerk um and the whole series as mike pointed out the comic series is about him how the the oh the the him being captured for so long and helpless really sort of humbles him in a lot of ways and that's a re- that ripples through the whole comic series yeah um so, and it'll be interesting I, to see how much we get to see that yeah randy can i can i ask you so it was episode one of the series similar in tone and theme to episode one of the comic book was this a a yes. representation yes. of the first episode? yeah very yeah. much so. yeah. Okay. yeah the f- the first episode literally was the first issue yeah. yeah. Okay. With the addition oh, yeah. of the Corinthian. <laughs> right. So I was like, whoa, Corinthian's in episode one? <laughs> they, yeah, the Corinthian doesn't actually get introduced until the whole dollhouse storyline. Yeah, it's, it's like barely at first. Yeah, exactly. Right. But it's interesting, too, because, you know, they wanted to have, you know, Dream, like you say, being the, pro, you know, protagonist. Um, have an enemy. He has to have an enemy, and that's where they brought in the Corinthian. And then, you know, later at the end of the season, now it's 
turning into that it's going to be, you know, basically desire. Yeah, no, not desire, but you have the folks from hell who are now after dream. Yeah, but that's that's not. I mean, but but, but that's but, a big that's a big storyline in season. That's a big two. story, but but I mean, Lucifer's not behind everything that's happened so far. Desire is wanting is out for him. Well, uh, but it doesn't seem uh, like it was. And, and Lucifer's was, just mad that that she got showed up, like 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 she like in front of in front of her crew, right? Like, she, or, he's he's just mad that uh that dream kind of like you know like you know they went on they went to battle and she lost like he lost whatever uh right for um uh but mike so so you uh also are in favor of tom sturge as well oh he he met the expectations oh very much so and i like how they did the coloring on him not quite pink but not quite white pasty white like he is in the comics and that was really nice to see. And if you notice him, his it changes depending on the lighting in the scene too, yep. which is really awesome. And that's the way a dream should be because you know he shouldn't be anything. And everyone who looks at him sees him differently anyway. And yep. that, that yeah, was... I like the fact that they established that with him and with death. And, yeah, and the other, presumably the others as well. Oh yeah, we haven't seen them interact with humans yet. Um, okay, so let's get into some of the other characters. There's so many to choose from. Obviously, we can't go um, one by one. But Randy, what's an, who's another character, a performance that really stood out for you in in the series? Um, I, well, I, I really liked Kirby Howell Baptiste as Death. Oh I, man, I, she was I, awesome. She was, she was wonderful. That I, I absolutely just adored that episode. Um, and and I think I'd mentioned I, I'd I'd said earlier that just just that some of the creative choices of the show really surprised me. Um, there was a lot of violence, some gore. What surprised me was in, 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 in the death episode, which I believe is uh, the sound of her wings mm-hmm. um, yes. was uh, when she comes to take the baby yeah. and she takes the baby with her. And I'm expecting to hear a mother's tormented screams in the background. And that never came, yeah. um, you know, no, of, they, of, 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 they left the scene. Of, and yeah, right before, and and it, 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 I just found that very interesting. But her her character, her take on that character was wonderful. And my my wife was sitting there watching it with me. She said, "I I pray that death is that merciful. When mm. when death comes to take us, I pray that that death is like this this character in the show." And I and I thought it was just beautiful. I thought oh. she did a beautiful job. When the um the Jewish guy and he did the uh, the prayer before she took him, it was just awesome. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. That, that, that was just like was wow, awesome. and that's it. That whole episode was just amazing, and yeah. that again was almost directly from the comic, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and it's, again so well represented, and hearing the wings beat, and you know death, you know, and I love the soccer player. And it was just yeah. awesome. And another awesome catch. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost uh, almost didn't make it, but yeah, right. Um, yeah, I'd I'd been familiar with Kirby Al Batiste when she was on Good Place, and I loved her performance there. And I definitely like she she stood out, and I was like, man, she's one to watch. I had no like there was nothing that hit my brain that she would be perfect as Death uh in this until i saw the casting and i was like "Hmm, that's going to be really interesting 
uh, because this is one of the big ones that we that you know that a lot of the that a lot of people face as far as casting decisions because mm-hmm. you know the 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 pers- death in the comics is really like um uh has a has a specific look even though she changes depending on who sees her there's a look that she has in the comics that is pretty pretty popular and so um you know the casting of kirby makes it make make goes a little bit outside of that but i think you know it's a case of you know hire the best person for the job. And I can't imagine anybody doing as good a job as Kirby did in that. Um, Bambi, what did you think of death? I thought she was great. And the people complaining, oh, she's not wearing the make the crazy makeup. And I'm like, yeah, she didn't wear the crazy makeup until later in the series. Like she is is wearing, she did have thick eyeliner, but she didn't have the little swirls or anything in that issue. Yeah, I think she did buried. it in her own series, right? That's where she got that in no, her when they did no, it. No, it happens own. later in the in the Sandman. Okay. It's just like the outfit she's wearing, that's what she wore in this episode. I think she had a leather jacket she takes off, but other than that, from my memory, in fact, I can probably even look at it. It's black jeans and the onk necklace and a, a spaghetti strap shirt. It's yeah. pretty it's pretty close. I mean, she wasn't wearing black lipstick, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Other than what, other than that, it was she was great. What's uh what's another character that uh you appreciated in the series? Matthew, totally Matthew. And Lucian. I really liked Lucian. Right. But okay. Matthew, I love Matthew. Gotcha. <laughs> oh Matthew was, Matthew was back. awesome. And having uh Patton do his voice was just awesome. Yeah. So I've got a question for you guys. So Patton's voice to me just really kept, was very, very stark in contrast to the other characters. You know, one of the things that's always interesting is when you have a, a, uh, a film or a TV series of a book, people come back and say, well, that's not the voice I heard, which mm-hmm. is, you know, why, why Calvin and Hobbes was never made into a cartoon series is because, right. you know, the creator said he, he, he didn't want somebody else to interpret what, what their voices would be. So would, based, now that you've seen the show, what, I mean, would you would you have heard Patton Oswald's take on that character in your mind when you were reading the book? Or is this something fresh and new for you guys? It was definitely new for me because I expected him to have a lot more of a gravelly detective voice. But the sarcasm is he nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) See, the thing is, I knew Matthew before he was the crow. So, was he in Swamp Thing? Yep. Was it in Swamp Thing? That's exactly. what I heard. I haven't read Swamp Thing. I just know. I yeah. mean, Neil Gaiman wrote some of the Swamp Thing episodes. Yeah, so. it, but it was interesting because in the comic, I know we said we weren't going to read, you know, but Matthew <laughs> Matthew was married to Abigail. And so, oh. and so it was just, it was interesting that they used that character. Um, but it was just, it's interesting because, yeah, I liked Matthew. I liked Lucien. But I loved Cain and Abel, how they did Cain and Abel, because that was just awesome. And I also liked the casting on that because they made him Middle Eastern. And folks, mm-hmm. get over it. Cain and Abel were not white. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I will say that uh, my most disappointing casting choice was Cain. Uh, not because he was Middle Eastern, because I never saw the two of them as twins. Cain uh, has such a distinct look in the comics mm-hmm. i wish they'd gone with somebody a little bit more visual because they're kind of like laurel and hardy you know like one thin one big 
and they just uh in this did like two big guys um two big middle eastern guys and i'm like you know middle eastern is more than just big guys with beards like you could do like a cane and a thin guy and still get that point across and and that was the only criticism i have i don't had i don't criticize uh the performance of the actor but i i kind of wish that they'd gone uh with somebody that looked a little bit different than abel uh because really um you know uh, outside of their performances, they they they, they kind of like I never thought of them as twins. Uh, so no, yeah. So that was the only thing that that was the only issue that I had. I'm glad. Look, I'm glad they're Middle Eastern. I'm glad that you know. I mean, obviously the producers Neil and everybody involved wanted to make sure that this cast was multicultural, really diverse, and I think it really suits the property uh, that they did that. And so you know, people who get and read Sandman are like really going to get and be open to these interpretations. Uh, obviously we've seen from, you know, the other side, people are, are, are up in arms about some things, but um, you know, I mean, I think I, I can't, I can't fault anybody's performance in this at all. And can I throw one, one point out? I know, I know there's so many things we want to talk about tonight, but I have one question about Absolutely. casting and that's uh, Jenna Coleman. Mm-hmm. Constantine. Now I, I don't know any, again, not knowing anything about the book, um, you know, I'd heard some criticism that she was too much Clara Oswald. She was. Doctor Who. She was. Um, I, I don't know anything about the character. Is this the same Keanu Reeves character that I've, I've seen and, and no. heard about in other movies? Uh, no, yeah. this is, um, this is, uh, well, my God. Yeah. Well, it's a mix, right? It's a mix. It's, it's well, Jenna's jo- playing Joanna Constantine. And she's playing like, you know, who's the descendant of Lady Co- Joanna Constantine. Who they showed but she's in. Joanna Constantine. She's not John Constantine. Now, Constantine. a lot of her history, a lot Come of, on, hello. A lot of <laughs> sorry, a lot, a lot of, a lot of constant, well, that's the difference too, right? Whereas a lot like John, John is not Constantine, right? Joanna, yeah. it's Constantine, right? Um, so the, uh, but they do give her a lot of his backstory uh, to Joanna. Okay. But she's not playing John. Like she doesn't okay. like like Joanna doesn't Joanna would never have a wrinkled overcoat. Joanna would never be like a, you know, uh like an unkempt person because that's not Joanna's style. Mm-hmm. Um so I think there was some sort of like mixture about that too. Uh obviously there was legal reasons since mm-hmm. I think uh they're developing a Constantine or a Constantine John show. Um, plus all the history that Matt Ryan has with the character and everything. I think they really wanted to separate themselves that way. And I think it was a smart choice. I think she was great. Uh, I, as, as Clara, I knew that Jenna could do a lot, but I didn't know that she had this kind of edge to her. And I'm, I was really happy to see her pull that off. Oh, I thought she was great at what she did, but I agree with what people are saying that a little too close to Clara Oswald and, you know, that was just my feeling with it. And from what I hear is, like you had said, they didn't use John Constantine because of what the Legends of Tomorrow and that they're making a new movie with him. And, you know, they and also the Keanu Reeves movie, they just have so much tied into it. And so yeah. they wanted to go just a slightly different direction with it. Yeah, I get why they did it, and I like what they did. I actually mm-hmm. prefer her over. <laughs> mention the comics. I'm trying not to mention the comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, it's uh, it ties was, in better because of her. I think it ties in better too because of Joanna's history with 
we'll see her appear in later things. We've already seen Lady Joanna show up. So I think it's it's a, it ties in better. I think it's a little neater that way. Um, all right. So still a lot to cover. Um, what is one episode, one sequence, one something about the series? And you can include the special bonus episode that we got, mm-hmm. uh, which was awesome to, to get that and, and to, for them to pull off two stories in one uh, episode. That was pretty solid. Um, but what's something that really, really uh, moved you, what impressed you? Uh, that really clicked for you as far as this made this a, a top-notch series for you. Uh, I'm going to start with Bambi on this one. Ooh, that's hard, though, because I'm like, ooh, every one of the episodes had stuff I love. But, of course, I'm going to love A Dream of a Thousand Cats. That was one of my <laughs> favorite issues. And even what's so funny is, like, seeing the people online saying, if you like cats, don't watch that episode. I'm like, no, it, I know what they're referring to. And it was necessary for the story. I hated it. I knew it was coming. I read it it's before. Awful. Yeah. It's awful. <laughs> but it, it's such an important plot to drive the story that yeah. I love that idea. Because people are jerks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. People are jerks. <laughs> well, it's just the whole thing of, you know, just if, if, if mankind wasn't the dominant species, if we were the pets, you know, how would it, how would that look? It's not exactly pets because, you know, we're their food almost, but. I still, I liked how they did that and I was curious how they were going to do it because I was really excited when Neil posted something, this was years ago, saying the cats have been cast. I was like, oh my God, they're going to do the cat episode. (laughs) So I was expecting live action, which I don't know, I would have loved to have seen it, but it would have probably come across as more campy because trying to get cats to do anything in real life is, (laughs) 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 there's only so much you can do. I love them. But yeah, they're... and they don't have like a huge budget. I mean, I mean, they this show spent every every dime that they spend, you see on the screen. Yeah. But I mean, still, they. I think the animation was fine. I've heard some people complain about it a little bit, but I, I you know, I think it was. I think it worked fine yeah. to the, was... to tell this sort of fantastic story. That was the only episode that Neil's voice was in, though. I thought you were saying like when it first opened, is like, did he talk in the first episode? I don't remember it. I know he was in that no. one. I know he was in the cat one. Yes. Yeah, that's the only one that I remember him. Because he was the narrator in the audio version. Yeah. yeah, But but in this, he the only one he appeared in was well, his voice appeared in was the cat one, and it was nice. And it was nice to have the um, second story and get Arthur Darville and Derek Jacoby in an episode together, which was just awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. great actors yes the uh um and yeah dream of a thousand cats was one of my favorite stories as well obviously if you're a cat person uh it, it means a little bit more but also i you know i love the punchline to that too which is that you know that if you know it would take a thousand cats to make this dream to to sort of flip it right so mm-hmm. that they were in, in control anymore but you can't get like a thousand cats to do anything. Like, like you just could. You just—it's impossible, right? You can't even get like five cats to do anything similar. So right. it'll never happen because they just like you don't have to worry about it. Uh, this you don't have to worry about this dream becoming a reality because uh, yeah, it's uh, not going to happen. Uh, Randy, what's a, what's an episode particularly for you uh, that was really strong and stood out? Well, I, I really loved Calliope. Um, that that one spoke out to me on so many different levels um you know i've 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 
tried over the years to write and to be a writer. So I, I just, I, I found myself drawn to that. But uh, episode one of the series was just so wonderful. It was so rich and so mysterious. Um, but, you know, it, it seemed like every episode had these moments that, that you know, the, the entire run of the series was, you know, more than the sum of the individual parts. And, and, and I'd find myself thinking or going back to individual scenes in the show. Um, so episode one was just absolutely wonderful because it just set us off on this journey and I didn't know where we were going. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that was wonderful. Please forgive me. I can't remember the name of the episode where he returns every hundred years. Robert Gavling episode. Yep. That was yep. my other one that I loved. <laughs> that was absolutely wonderful. And what was interesting about that is it was, it was kind of educational too, because you kind of saw throughout this journey, how slowly mankind and technology progressed until the last hundred years. And all of a sudden, you know, the guy's driving up in a sports car and, and the entire world has changed. It was just, it was really fascinating to see this perspective of, of these two characters just coming together, you know, the, the mortal and, or essentially the, the immortal and the, and the, uh, the man who, who wouldn't die, but who would have been mortal once upon a time. It was, it was just wonderful to see those things. Um, yeah, the sound, the sound of her wings was a great episode because again, it gives us two stories and they're both really awesome and standalone themselves. Uh, but I yeah. think, uh, you know, unfortunately, Man of Good Fortune is is the second part of that. That second story that's in the episode is almost like you know eclipsed by the death story in the beginning. So it's kind of mm-hmm. like um, it's kind of a shame that you know it's sort of they had to share that episode. But yeah. I think it I think it still works. And it's interesting too because they were two separate issues, and they weren't even that close together. I think they were like ten issues apart or yeah. something. No, they were they were fairly close. I think. No, it was. Uh, it was Sound of Her Wings is episode eight, and thought, Man of Good Fortune is thirteen. So it's oh, like five okay. episodes. Yeah, because five it, issues in between. Because I think after it, I think you if we were talking about the comic, you had Dollhouse between. I think, but it was it was interesting though because you had some amazing stories and i like how they changed when uh, morpheus went to hell because obviously they had to because you know they couldn't include some of the dc characters that were involved Mm -hmm. in the series and and but it was it was awesome how in this morpheus actually challenged uh lucifer instead of mm-hmm. the demon and yep, it made it, it made it more impactful in a lot of ways. And I, th- I, I thought it was great. And kudos to Gwendolyn Christie. She played yeah. an amazing Lucifer, you know, cause in game of Thrones at first, when I saw her, it was like, is that a man or a woman? You know? So it was just like, so. <laughs> wow. yeah. I mean, that was another interesting choice, but I think Gwendolyn knocks it out of the park because I mean, you know, kudos to the, uh, the makeup and costuming team and everything because I mean really looks like angelic, right? Like that's yep. the point of, of Lucifer yep. to look angelic, not shouldn't look like a human, shouldn't look like a man, shouldn't look like a dude, shouldn't look like a guy with a goatee, right? Like it should look like somebody who was an angel, right? Yep. So it was based uh, on I, David I, Bowie. I, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. But uh, and 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 folks, uh, just a real quick sidebar. Almost as enjoyable as the series has been Neil's responses on Twitter, like batting a batting away anybody who's complaining about the series with stupid comments. Yes. Yep. So uh, you know those people who are complaining, like, oh well, Lucifer should look like David Bowie, and you know Neil's have has to point out to them, 
David Bowie's been dead. Like, yeah, it, I we love. That. We don't have that option. Like we just yeah. we can't do that. <laughs> and somebody um, said you should. You know, if you resurrected him, the first thing that would happen if I got resurrected for you to make me work, I would not be happy. <laughs> <laughs> but he's been great. On like, I mean, he just like you know just sort of fends these folks off with uh, with with great class and much humor. And uh, I, I, you know, with with when. It's a lot of times a lot of this stuff is not very like a lot of these complaints are not very humorous because they're just, you know, ignorant and prejudiced and just really stupid overall. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? What was a uh, storyline for you that uh, an episode in particular that you liked? Well, the storyline I have to go with, of course, would have to be, you know, the dollhouse. It was amazing to capture. A lot of changes in this one. A lot of changes, but I loved how they captured the feel of the residence of the house. And we even got Hedwig and the angry itch in there, mm-hmm. <laughs> which was just awesome to see. Um, we got to see um, some amazing story about the convention or the cereal convention. Why would anyone want to have a convention about breakfast food? (laughs) (laughs) Which was supposed to take place in Macon, Georgia. Yes. (laughs) It's actually supposed to be in Macon, Georgia. Which was, which was awesome. It was very creepy. And then I love seeing Fiddler's Green. Stephen Fry was awesome. Yeah. He was fantastic. They nailed his character. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, Gilbert was awesome. And of course, you then also got um the Corinthian. And the Corinthian was charming and mm-hmm. which which was scary as hell, even more so. You know, he was believable. He was, you know, and I I loved it. And he was horrific. He was horrible. And I truly, truly enjoyed that story that whole storyline. And it was great, the fake serial killer in there and how they took care of him and everything. It was it was I was geeking out the whole time. And it was just like, wow, it's almost like Dragon Con, but for a lot warp, more warp people. Well, no, I won't say that because I've been to Dragon Con, and, you know. Yeah, you know, uh, oddly enough, the serial convention depicted in this series was, was much, much closer more to conventions than I'm familiar with than anything the the one that was depicted in Miss Marvel. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> this was, uh, yeah, very creepy, very creepy. Um, I gotta say, like you know, the one the episode that uh, I can't say it's my favorite because man, this story is just the most horrific thing I can think of, uh, and I dread it. But um, it's much like you were saying, Bambi, about um, uh, that scene in Dream a Thousand Cats. It's necessary, but man, it's it's brutal. Like you have to watch it, but it's not something you can look forward to. Um, and that's 24 seven, like on a scale, like, like 24 seven, like, you know, when it starts in the series and Randy, I feel bad. Well, I don't know how you felt about this because you had no context, right? You had no idea what was coming. Zero. Like I'm as everybody's entering the diner, I'm like, Oh, good Lord. I feel sorry. Like I was just like, like, Oh God, I I knew, I knew what was going to happen now. It doesn't happen to as much of a violent extent as it does in the comics, but still, mm. like, it's still pretty brutal and fair. Like, 
I was like, man, I don't know how this is going to be received from the general public who don't know the comic because it is it is horrific. And I can't think of anything out there that I've ever seen that's kind of like that's like this episode, this this thing. It's just it's really brutal. Um, And uh, but I thought they pulled it off because, man, it was it was tough to watch. Uh, it was very tough to watch. Uh, did you guys feel like they did a good job with that too? Mm. <laughs> you want well, you wanted to be more violent? Oh yeah, I did. Yeah. Truthfully, <laughs> there yeah. there were there were two scene two episodes that I thought I was a little bit let down from. It was the twenty four seven because it wasn't anywhere as brutal as it was in the comic. This was actually tamed down a little bit. A little a bit. Yeah, quite a bit, actually. <laughs> and same th- the same thing with the Joanna Constantine storyline. When they went to go get the bag of sand. Yep. Because um, mm-hmm. they, it was horrific. What, you know, when they went into the house. And, yep. And it didn't feel like that as much in the show. And it it was a little bit of a letdown, but I could understand because they wanted it to a broader audience. Because how they were represented, both both storylines, could have easily been something out of Hellraiser, very yeah. easily. Yeah, yeah, oh, sure, sure. And so you know, I totally respect that, and I enjoyed them, but I was just you know, in my mind, I wanted to see a little bit more. I, I think they wanted to make sure that people continue to watch the series and not, and not, lose, I mean, that, not lose their lunch, basically. That's yeah. that. I mean, it's pretty brutal. I mean, it's a fantasy series, but I don't think they really. And, and Sandman is a fantasy horror series, although I do believe it becomes less horror and more more fantasy towards the run of the comic. I mean, I think most of the horrific things that happened in the comic were pretty much past in that for, in the first season. There's some other things that have happened here and there, but man, in that first like 24, like the first 24 issues, there's constant stuff that's like bam, bam, bam hits you. And this is more balanced. Yeah. Like yeah. Jed and the basement, they tamed that down too. Oh, right. yeah. Big time. And it's interesting because they made him into. The Sandman and everything. Yeah, well, I kind of figured that they couldn't do what they had done in the comic because probably licensing or whatever. So they exactly, kind of they couldn't do it because that was Kirby artwork yeah. storyline yeah. and everything. So, it, but it was interesting. But they got rid of some of the characters. Did you notice that? Like the the two uh, the two dreams that were supposed to be in that issue yes. that were actually. Yeah. I was like, oh man, I expected to see them. I kind of wanted to see that whole that whole bit. Yes, it was interesting, and I I liked it. But they had brought in that other dream, who was running yeah. the control board and was just looking like their his mother, and you know, go get him, Sandman, and it it was awesome, <laughs> and it it was cute. It was ador- It was a really adorable, and I really enjoyed that part. I liked that he had a protector in that dream, as opposed to what what it you know if they had done the comic right. would have been so yeah. i did like that change even though i was disappointed with it at the same time so eh, it's new so 
so this the, we you know we got our 10 episodes and then a few weeks later we got a surprise bonus episode which was really cool um but that is it uh for now uh according to interviews that neil's been given uh, season two is not guaranteed especially with all the stuff that's going on with Warner Brothers and DC Comics and HBO Max and all this stuff. Uh, um, you know, so uh, it is a, an expensive show to film, even though, you know, they do have their limits. But still, um, and even Netflix has said that they're going to cut down a lot of stuff, too. So they haven't just said, hey, probably is. <laughs> I'm hoping that as we release this episode, they'll be like, they'll announce that there's a second season and all this talk will be mute. But uh, Neil has said that, look, if if we don't, get if netflix doesn't want to pay us we're prepared to shop around and get another season somewhere so that's encouraging but we all know how difficult that is um so i i think it would be uh criminal absolutely to not continue this series it's off to such a great start we're only getting like we're only beginning his journey um although i think the series does change a bit you know, the next series or the next stories or whatever are, are pretty intense. Like Mike said, the mm-hmm. the hell and Lucifer story is really fun and really cool. But there's a lot of uh, episodes. There's a lot of stories um, in the comics anyway that are kind of like the last two episodes, the last two stories we got in episode 11, which are dreams in them. But he's kind of just yeah. like a, a bit player in these these stories. And. I don't know how, like, I don't think people are expecting an anthology series. So, uh, so I, I think you have to balance it out, right? Well, exactly. It's kind of like, you know, how Rod Sterling was in the Twilight Zone. He was like, the, he passed through sometimes in the storyline. Whereas Dream does that also in some of the characters. And you get some great stuff coming. You get, you know, I hope they do the uh, Shakespeare story. Oh yeah, midnight with the Midsummer's Night's Dream. Exactly, oh, such with, a good one. That would also be a great one to illustrate too, if mm-hmm. it's if it's um, animated. I would love to see that. Um, you also have the whole storyline with the uh, dead boy detectives who they used in Doom Patrol. It would be interesting to see. You know, you have a lot of great stories coming. So I do wonder they they had a they did a pilot for their own series. Uh, I actually saw it, um, previewed it, and uh, I don't think it got greenlit. So I don't know what the status is on those characters. But um, but I want to start with you, Randy, as far as the future of Sandman, because you're not familiar with anything that's coming. Uh, you know, and, and Bambi and Mike and I can reference all these great stories that are to come that we'd like to see live action. But what do you want to see from another ver- another series of Sandman? Um, I, th- I think I'd, I would definitely love to see a second series of it. Um, I'd be very interested to see more of the interaction between Dream and the other characters. Uh, I don't know if that happens. I know I know you've alluded to to certain things that happened in the series. I'm sh- I'm sure if there was a 75 issue run, there was more uh, you know cross cross character uh, storylines. I'd very much like to see that. Um, I think I'd like to see something and and. I guess if they follow the path of the, the, the comics, I'm guessing that there's probably not a 10 issue storyline somewhere in the, in the comic run, that they're probably shorter, maybe two or three issue. 
uh, story mm-hmm. arc. There's a couple that are pretty long. Brief yeah. Lives like feels like it's like a year. <laughs> it feels <laughs> like it's like it feels like it's like twelve issues. I don't think it is, but it it feels like it. But anyway, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, no, that that was one of the things that that initially kind of threw me from the show is is it is it took such sharp turns. You know, the first the first few episodes where he's he's going to find he's going to find his his helm and and the ruby and 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 the sand you know those all kind of held together and, and created one cohesive storyline and then when we it started just going off on these on these individual tangents so you got kind of to the end with the corinthia um so i'd i'd be interested in seeing a longer story arc not necessarily a whole season story arc but something you know something a little a little longer um I just fell in love with the characters. I thought the characters are fantastic. You know, you, you, you hit the nail on the head with Lucifer. The Corinthian was an amazing character. Um, Death. I, I, I could, I could watch her all day. I could absolutely watch her all day. So I, I hope that there's, I hope that there's more with these characters. I hope there's more, more in this universe. It, it's, it was such a wonderful mystery to unravel. That was unpredictable. And, you know, there was just so much mystery and so much suspense and so much unpredictability. And, and, depth to the writing and that's what was really beautiful because even 24 7 which i found extremely hard to hard to watch <laughs> you know it was, it was just so freudian in nature mm. you know about, about humanity at its core about about the id wanting to wanting to take control and be a monster and, and the super ego keeping keeping everything in checks so i i'm hoping that there's more i'm hoping that the writing is as layered and as as wonderfully character driven and that it's just executed in a way similar to this series that, that it doesn't, it doesn't lose quality for the sake of having a second series. Right. Right. And then, or that, you know, they get greenlit for a second series, but like Netflix has notes, you know, like, right. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. uh, we want to, we want to see like more of this person. We want to see more of this character because a lot of characters come and go make an impact in the comics and, you know, and are not seen again. I mean, uh, you know, Lucifer, himself like makes an impact in the beginning but towards the second half of the run of the comics we don't i don't think we see because lucifer gets his own series so um uh so you know it it is kind of interesting how that's going to play out where people are going to get used to seeing all these characters like the corinthian i would imagine he's going to pop up somewhere at some point even though it doesn't seem like he can but heck this is this is dream anything can happen right um I would think uh, that in order to really convey the comic, right, to tell the story of Morpheus, I think we need at least four seasons, maybe five, uh, in order to do this property justice. So, and then that's a lot to ask, right? So, um, uh, maybe do you think it can be done shorter than that? Or is there definitely some stories that you want to see second season or some characters that you want to see in the second season oh i told i would love to see delirium i want to see Delirium. Uh, we we haven't even seen all the endless i know it's like all his brothers and sisters but um i'm like destiny i want to see destiny so much (laughs) Uh, but to be honest i I wasn't sure how they were gonna do what they've done what how they covered it they did such a good job and they left so much out that I don't know. I, I have that. Can it be done? Well, obviously, I guess, because they, they did such a good job on the first chunk that it does seem possible to get it done in a shorter amount of time. But they would have to leave so much out that I would love to see. 
Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, it, it, you know, it's Ramadan. one of those things. It's, Ramadan, as I always said, it, it's Ramadan. one of those things where it's like, well, we want, we need to tell the story of Morpheus and we need to finish that up in two seasons. So think about all the stories that just get are removed because they're not necessary necessarily to that story. Like the, like the Shakespeare one you're talking yeah, about, right? Exactly. Are they skipped over with Nada? Yeah. 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 Uh, I like the, um, I can't remember what it's called too. There's one I really want to see too, the Arabian one, right? Where the king. Yeah, yeah that's and, Ramadan. That's the, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that. it's that's, a spectacular that's an story. story. Well, you also got the beginning, uh, you got the introduction of Sandman's biggest love, who he sent to mm-hmm. hell. Yeah, that's the, that's yeah. the Nada. I think her name was Not, Nada. Nada. That's why I was like, she made it, that second appearance just when they were in hell. She was there for a second. I was like, "Ooh, are you gonna do it?" <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, we see two of uh, Morpheus's exes in the first season, so obviously there's some some uh, history there that they can they can that needs to be explored, right? Yeah, but to be honest, I guess I'm guessing they dropped the one with Nada because again, that's one that showcases how much of a jerk he is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, you don't bring her up, you know, if you're not gonna explore that, right? Well, exactly. Uh, so. Uh, um, you know, and that that is a separate story for sure. And you know, the uh, with Calliope story is so integrated with Orpheus and all of that. I mean, that could take a whole season in and of itself to tell that story. So, uh, excuse me, a quick question. So, having not read the comic books, being being one of the the mass illiterate who haven't read the books, um, <laughs> we, does, st- does, we still love you. Action? It's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is, is there is there actually a definite end? To the story, did, did the did the comic book actually have a, a yes. an ending? Was there a story arc from beginning yes. to end? Yes, yeah, it goes seventy five issues. There's other uh, stuff that comes after, but I don't want to tell you how it ends or anything like that because it is a wonderful journey that you should experience. Right. But um, but there is a definite end. Seventy five issues, and you, yeah, that's it's, it's, yeah, there's but, an end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it continued with people that are not Neil Gaiman, and I didn't read them. <laughs> right. 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 I tried, and uh, I just nope. Yeah, they you know, they dealt with a lot of the other characters and everything, and it was interesting too because you actually get introduced to some of the characters from the end of Sandman in Dollhouse. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, interesting. Yes, and yeah. so it's it's real interesting, but I don't want to spoil anything. So I'm not going to say which characters no. or how, no, no, no character, no scene. They, I mean, they, there's no fat in this show. Any character that you see, any, any sequence that happens is going to pay off uh, by the end. If this is done as well as the comic. is, exactly. um, Yeah. There's nothing that is just like put in there just for whatever. Um, uh, everything has a purpose, um, and uh, that's what's been so exciting about about seeing this come to life. Um, any uh, any final words uh, about this series and 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 uh, overall uh, your thoughts, well, uh, Randy? Oh, sorry, go on. Oh, oh no, I was I was just going to say that this whole series was a joy. I mean, yeah, violent, yeah, unexpected, um, sometimes twisted, but it was such a joy. And such a wonderful journey. I, I would love to see another season. And, um, you know, it's 
there are so few shows that seem to be coming out right now that are that are just such a wonderful journey and, and of, of exploration and theme and characterization and idea and execution. This was just fantastic. And I, I, I always hate coming to the end of a series like this because I can't watch it with 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 blind eyes again. You know what I'm saying? You can't watch right. it fresh. It, right. it was fantastic and, and worth every minute of it. Exactly. Cool. Bambi, what were you going to say, sir? There is one thing that I they I feel like they missed the opportunity because of something they changed. But I was when it got to the scene where they're in the uh, Gadling's in the eighties and he's in the bar, and I was like, "We're, we're going to get to see Dream with the Robert Smith hair finally." <laughs> like, oh, oh, perfect opportunity missed. Yeah, uh, no show. Yeah. But I will say one thing that I hope happens from this show is I hope this is for just for me I really really hope that there are so many guys cosplaying as Morpheus that it turns into the whole Harley Quinn people are sick of it (laughs) 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 I want to see a ton of dreams out there (laughs) I've seen quite a few deaths at Dragon Con in the past before yeah yeah now I mean, now exactly i i think we're gonna see like i mean everything's on the table now people people that you know hell i could i could wear a pair of i like, could wear a pair of sunglasses and say i'm the Corinthian. it's okay there you go <laughs> <laughs> get some photo- if you're going to dragon con get me some photos <laughs> we uh we will definitely take photos uh that's 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 a given at dragon con but yeah sandman characters i'm gonna be on particular lookout for and appreciate because uh, I would anyway, but now with the series, it, they have a lot more of a canvas to pull from, which should be interesting. Uh, Mike, final thoughts on the series? Hopefully not final, final thoughts, because we want this to continue, right? I watched this whole series, and I had a grin on my face, ear to ear, from episode one all the way through episode 11. And thank you for episode 11. It was unexpected. It was a huge surprise. And it's like, oh, by the way, we dropped another episode. <gasps> you know, and it, it was awesome. It was great to see. And I loved all of it. There, you know, I bitched and moaned a little bit in this episode about, you know, the lack of some of the, you know, horrific and stuff compared to others. But what we got was blue any expectation I ever thought I would see. And I am thrilled with that. I really am. And you know what? If I want to have the horrific and stuff, I'll read the comics, which I'm currently going through right now for Dragon Con. Shudder. Exactly. So it's pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, every time I get to that 24-7 issue, uh, it's such a tough thing. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, like many of you, I mean, it, like, you know, this is a series that I didn't think could, was possible to, to, to be this good and to be this good of an adaptation. Um, and it's not just an adaptation, it's taking a life of its own, which would be really interesting. I mean, they've already made changes that we didn't, you know, as fans of the comic, we didn't see coming and yet they still work. So there's some breathing room there. It doesn't have to be like a shot by shot adaptation or or that that kind of thing so i really like that the the world the universe that this series has 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 given to us visually and story-wise and uh there needs to be more like i said it'll be criminal if there's not more of this because i think it's unlike anything else that's out there there's a lot of great tv out there 
but this is special. Um, even if you haven't read the comics, right, Randy? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Well, thanks guys. Um, uh, it's been fun talking about it. We'll be right back and, uh, we're going to close out the show. Finally. Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. The Taylor Hawkins Tribute Show happening this Saturday, September 3rd at London's Wembley Arena will be broadcast in its entirety starting at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the States on Paramount Plus in the U.S. only, MTV's YouTube channel, and Pluto TV around the world. Special editions will air later in the U.S. on CBS and MTV. You can get on-demand access on Paramount Plus starting on September 3rd and on Pluto TV and MTV TV VOD starting on September 5th. So, so many artists turning out for this. Brian Johnson of ACDC, Roger Taylor and Brian May from Queen, Chrissy Hine of The Pretenders, Mark Ronson, Geddy Lee and Alex Lifeson of Rush, Wolfgang Van Halen, so many, many more. Uh, This show supports music support and music cares as chosen by the Hawkins family. So... Be sure to tune in for that. It should be a great show and a great tribute. And the next Beatles album to get a box set with bonuses treatment will indeed be Revolver. Don't have details yet. The official announcement and details will come up in September. So stay tuned. We will have those for you. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Check out the blog at iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. And we'll catch you next time. It was the dawn of another podcast. The Epsilon 3 is a dream given form. It's a home away from home for three guys to watch a 90s sci-fi classic TV show. Three guys with microphones over 3,249 miles apart, all alone in the night. The year is 2021. The name of the station is Babylon 5. The name of the podcast is is the Epsilon 3. Veer, bring me a drink. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the first half of American Horror Stories, Season 2. The new season of American Horror Stories, the anthology show by the creators of American Horror Story, is on Hulu, and the first half of the season is all done. And it's a mix of really, really great episodes and some okay episodes. Now... First off, I love anthology shows. I love anthology horror shows. So American Horror Stories is right up my alley. So far, I think my favorites of the season are Dollhouse and Aura, the first two episodes of season two. Dollhouse, because it's such a great American Horror Story style story, it has a great atmosphere and feel to it, and it feeds into the season of Coven, which I absolutely love. And I love it when they expand on the already created American Horror Story universe and we get to see backstories of characters we normally didn't get to see a lot of during the season. Aura was probably the creepiest episode to me so far this season. And I loved that we got Gabby back 
for more American Horror Story stuff. The connection between the ghosts and the technology was just super creepy, and the acting in this one was so great. The next few episodes to me were okay, but not my favorites of this season. Drive had a twist at the end that you could tell was kind of coming, but it was still an enjoyable episode. Milkmaids had a great gore added to it in with the history of the episode. It was a period piece, the only one of the season so far, and it did a great job of researching what happened during smallpox in the more extreme sense. Also, what is up with the episodes with Cody Fern and creepy children and cannibalism? We got one in season one, and now we have one in season two. Seriously, I feel like they're telling us something for an upcoming season. Bloody Mary was a great take on the Bloody Mary urban legend. I just wish it was a little scarier, but it really does show the lengths that someone will go to to feel safe in their life. Also, Dominique Jackson as Bloody Mary was fantastic, and I really, really hope we see more of her in American Horror Stories because I loved her in Pose, and I was so excited to see her in American Horror Stories. The last episode for the first half of the season is Facelift which was very much like an old Twilight Zone episode as well. We see Judith Light playing a woman who isn't ready to give in to aging, and she turns to a plastic surgeon who has a very dark secret. I won't spoil this episode for you, but it has a pretty amazing twist at the end, and it was very enjoyable to watch. It was also rather creepy. If you're afraid of starting a new show and you don't want to have to watch through a ton of episodes... American Horror Stories is probably a good horror anthology for you to check out since every episode doesn't necessarily intertwine with the previous episodes because it's anthology. I would give it a watch if you want something good to watch in October that's spooky. Thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. We want to thank everyone for joining us tonight. And, you know, going through the marathon, we had a big one tonight, folks. It was a ton of fun. But <laughs> you made it. You we made, all it. made it. <laughs> we all made it. We did. Let's thank our guests for being here. Randy, thank you for joining us. And now maybe you'll sit down and read a comic book or two. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun just to, just to chat and to learn a little bit about the series. Oh, dude, not a problem. And, you know, I, it was great having you. And, you know, hopefully we've educated you somewhat or anything. <laughs> Maybe. I just thought we had your perspective. Exactly. Anything you want to promote or shout out about? No, but I will be going to my local comic book store this week. So uh, you've, you've talked me into it. Thanks, guys. Pick up the Sandman Omnibus. Pick up the Sandman Omnibus. At least yeah, pick up the, fr- so the first one because it actually will be literally, it's going to be the whole series that you saw. And cool. Sounds good. Thank you. And it's like 25 bucks or something like that. So definitely check it out. And Bambi, thank you. It's weird having you on here, not talking about music, but it, you were great. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. It was nice. It was awesome. Anything you want to shout out about? Uh, Well, let's see. Besides saying meow, because I always do. um, (laughs) Let's see. Joe Lanta, which is a G.I. Joe and action figure uh, convention, will be happening September 9th through September 11th at the Peachtree Corners Hilton. Oh, wow. I'll be there. My band's playing there, too. But, you know, come out. It's, It's another convention. It's toys. Yay. That is awesome. That is awesome. You guys don't do Dragon Con, do you? 
no sometimes i do we'll we'll come out and help mike sometimes we just can't this this upcoming weekend so i'm not doing dragon con this year unfortunately gotcha 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 it's been great to see you but awesome so definitely check it out and anywhere radio cult's going to be playing we'll be at at joanna (laughs) the the radio cult will be there yeah joanna and we have a bunch of other shows coming up but off the top of my head that's the first one i can think of like this friday I'm doing an acoustic show in Marietta Square, but you know, Radio Cult will be playing at Joe Lanta. There you go. Check out Joanna. When will you be in Marietta Square? We live down the street. Oh, Friday. Uh, I'm. We're playing a place called Hagen Ale Smokehouse. Yeah. So I'll be playing there acoustic. I think we play eight to eleven. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, I know it. Hopefully, we'll be able to see. Yeah. You. Awesome. The connections we're making right there. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and Randy can join in and just talk about Sandman while Bambi's playing. It's well, awesome. Come in and play music because we we have people sit in. Doesn't matter if you actually know how to play or sing an instrument, do anything. You can still do it. <laughs> it's fun. Cool. <laughs> wow. Okay. And Mr. Mike, we've made it through another one, my friend. A big long one, but we uh, we made it through, and it's been awesome. Um, it's been my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? You know, we've we like we've had. I think we're done for a little while doing these uh, double, huge double episodes because we just had so much content, people to talk to, and everything. But we've still missed some stuff. And one of the things that I'm kind of wish that we got a chance to do a whole episode on, because to me, it's been the best uh, summer movie. Uh, was not released in theaters, but is uh, available on Hulu only, and that's Prey. It is a uh, the next avail. It's the next film in the. Um, predator franchise but it's so much more than that it is uh a great film in the franchise it kind of reinvigorates that franchise and takes it to a level that i didn't think was possible at this point but it's also a great standalone if you've never seen a predator movie uh it's a great standalone movie in and of itself it's full of uh intrigue and action and interesting characters and uh you know you learn a little bit about the comanche nation 300 years ago it's it's amazingly shot and and well structured uh it's a really really great movie that like i said i wish i got to see it on the big screen it's a great movie but it's available on hulu so if you have hulu check it out that is awesome it is a great movie watched it last week and you know what it was amazing it really was amazing i think it's my favorite predator movie since the first one so so, thumbs up totally thumbs up and you know what folks i'm going to give a shout out to a couple different things a big big shout out over the weekend judy and i were down in florida and we did a quick rundown there because original eso co-host dan wren is going to be a daddy in october he is his him and his wife samantha are going to give birth to a daughter and it's gonna be sylvie wren it's actually pretty awesome so they they, they grow up so fast i know it's pretty amazing and so congrats and i mean some of them do i haven't i haven't grown you haven't grown up at all mike you know yeah i mean he left the show so he was able to grow up exactly i think once you leave you start aging you know so it's pretty it's (laughs) pretty awesome no (laughs) so i just wanted to give a quick shout out to that um, also, very quick, cool. a very and another quick shout out. 
um, to a bravo to Only Murders in the Building. It's finished season two, and what a great ending to the season. Thumbs up. Um, Very good. Felt like a little bit during the middle of the season, they kind of were losing their way in some ways, but they pulled it all together, and I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, everything made sense, and even when I thought it was losing their way, they were making sense out of it, which was pretty darn awesome. So, only murders in the building, only on Hulu. So, definitely check that out. Also, two reasons to watch Hulu. Exactly. <laughs> well, we, they well, should pay us, Mike. Yeah, well, exactly. So, yeah, and I wasn't even going to. I wasn't even going to talk about this week's uh, what we do in the shadows. So, you know, that's another Hulu show. So, there you go. <laughs> So definitely all good stuff up there. Uh, also, Dragon Con. There's a little thing coming up this weekend. By the time you actually hear this go live, we will be at It'll Dragon be Con. Yeah, most of you people will be listening to it after or trying to recover. So I uh, just wanted to give a huge, huge shout out for it. And I have up to 19 panels for the con. And it's going to be a ton of fun. And definitely find me. I'm in the app and Mike Gordon is in the app and we are going to be doing an Earth Station 1 panel actually. We're going to be talking all about the 40th anniversary of Blade Runner and so it should be a kind of fun. We're going to be doing it with the American Classic Sci-Fi track and if I remember correctly it is on Sunday at 5.30pm in the Marriott. So definitely, if you're going to be at Dragon Con, check us out. We definitely would love to have some folks come up and say howdy. If you do, we got a little special reward for you. So definitely try to find us. And no, it is not a jar of apple pie. I could tell you that. <laughs> so that's going to an, another bunch of folks. But that's a whole different story. So definitely try to find us. But we will be back again next week. Speaking of thoughts, we are going to be back next week when we are going to be doing our su summer movie wrap-up. And we're going to see who has egg on our face about the predictions we made or did, did we succeed? Did we not? You know, it would be very interesting. I don't think most of us picked that Top Gun was going to blow everyone out of the water. So New. it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. We're also going to look at what's coming up in the fall. Got a lot of movies coming up. Some have been pushed further back, of course, but... A lot of it's going coming your way, so it should be a lot of fun to see. Check us out, of course, next week. You can find us wherever fine podcasts are found, as we like to say, because you know what? That's what we do. Of course, thanks for listening to the Earth Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at nsclivetv.com. Remember, you could also find Earth Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including Patreon. Earth Station One is part of the ESO network, and our Patreon is a major force of how we keep the lights on here at the station. So if you ever want to help support Earth Station One, Earth Station Who, Dragon Con Report, 42 Cast, and the Flopcast, and all the other shows we have, definitely check out our Patreon. Please do. It's going to be awesome. And all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO network. And for as little as a dollar, you can help support the show. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, and Mike Gordon, thank you to Bambi Lynn and, of course, Randy Stewart for joining us. And, folks, Stanley was awesome at the beginning of the show. Stanley Livingston is a true classic, and I hope you guys enjoyed hearing him. 
Thanks again for listening. We will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones. Peace, and we will see you at the con. And we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Earth Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.